right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. We have our guy, the new guy in town. Uh, not, not necessarily new to this podcast, but new as a member of No Laying Up, Mr. Kevin Van Valkenburg. KVV, how are you tonight? Solly, I am fabulous. I am pink from the sun. Played a little golf today. Uh, wearing a pink shirt to match, so feeling excellent all up and down. There's a reason why we don't post all these things to YouTube, and that is the reason right there. And joining us tonight, a big Live Golf fan. He is watching a lot of the coverage this week. He was sending in tweets. He was hoping to get on the broadcast, and I don't think he made it, but Mr. Neil Schuster. Good evening, Neil. Gentlemen, good evening. I'm the uh, non-designated event survivor. Happy to be here. (laughs) Call me in when you need me. Let's get it going. Hell we yeah. all drew the short straw tonight. We got to talk about the Honda Classic and Live Golf today. I'm actually looking forward to this one. This was uh, this week checked a lot of boxes for me. But this episode is, of course, brought to you by our friends at Titleist and the new Pro V1 and Pro V1X. So this week, the Titleist golf balls were used by the champions on both the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour. A combined 74% of players across both events were teeing it up with the number one ball in golf. That's Chris Kirk and Lilia Vu, both playing the new Pro V1X. Kirk put the new X in play for the first time uh, to start the year at the Sony Open and is now one victory and three top three finishes in his first four starts this year playing the new ball. I don't know if you guys knew this. He is uh, top six in strokes gained before this event this week in in the world uh, so far in 2023. And that's before this victory. Uh, he gained more than nine shots on the field, tee to green, with over six of those coming on approach shots. Uh, also, I believe all nine of those were gained hitting right to left shots into that, which we can talk about, but... That's also not even including the final wedge at 18. Lilia Vu was playing the new Pro V1X for the first time on the LPGA Tour this week, and on a windy day in Thailand, she went bogey-free with eight birdies, including a stretch of five in a row to shoot an 864 and win her first LPGA title. That new Pro V1X, folks, is the same ball that DJ, Big Randy, Cody, and Casey are all using, and you you know you got two Pro V1 players here with myself and Neil. KVV, you just went through a ball fitting. Where did you end up, Pro V1 or Pro V1X? Pro V1. Uh, I have been an X player just uh, as like because I was like, oh, I kind of like the red number. I didn't really know like one way or another. But when I went through the fitting, they were the my fitter very much was like, yeah, you need to be playing the Pro V1. Like you have too much speed to have to worry about like carry. Like we need to Guys, we need to work on the path, but you got some speed. You're so. too good. You're yeah. too good of a too ball striker, good. Kevin. We can't have you in this other ball. You're just no, he's an athlete. so much he's a college speed. Athlete. Hell yeah. So choosing the right golf ball is all about flight, spin, and feel. Head over to titles.com to start the fitting process and find out which Pro V1 is right for you. Let's start with the Honda Classic. Did not get a Monday finish, thankfully. It looked a little <laughs> sketchy there. Uh we, we we risked it a little bit to get twosomes in today, which I gotta say is worth it in my mind because twosome golf is so much better to watch than threesome golf. Am I onto something there? Absolutely. I said that thought for sure all through the Genesis was how much more fun it is when it's twosomes. I feel like we could either start with kind of the macro takeaway of what is very, 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 very clearly not a designated event uh, versus, uh, or we could start with kind of the action right through it, which gave us a lot of drama and I feel like served the purpose of this non-designated event. So maybe let's start there. Chris Kirk, KVV, I want your kind of reaction to this as 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 a storyteller yourself. Tell us a little bit about uh, what your your reaction to Chris Kirk's victory. 
I just love when athletes, professional athletes, are vulnerable in front of the world. And obviously, Chris Kirk has been through some some stuff. Uh, he's been very open, you know, about the fact that he battled alcoholism, uh, the fact, you know, that he battled depression. And so, coming down the stretch, I was thinking, like, I don't know that I care about this event one or another, but I found myself like really pulling hard for Kirk and just sort of saying, like, I want this to come full circle to sort of feel like you know, all of this was worth it in some way. And obviously Kirk would probably say like, of course it was worth it either way. Like I got my life back, like I'm a better father, a better husband, all that stuff. But to have that sort of validated by like playing really good golf and like getting in the winner's circle again and to sort of say like, I'm, I'm thankful for this, but I'm thankful for my sobriety. Like that was cool. I mean, like I, one of my favorite artists I talk all the time is Jason Isbell and he's like really big advocate of, of his sobriety and how much it's improved his life. And so I always kind of just feel like it's a cool moment when someone is willing to talk about that and say like, yeah, man, like if you're struggling, like I struggled too. And so to see that come to, you know, come to head was awesome. Not to auto plug uh, our own content, but we did a podcast with him back in July of 2020, where I don't think the world fully knew like what was going on with him. They knew he kind of took time away. And I think he was pretty open and honest about why he was taking time away. But what I appreciated about that episode was like, he gave specific examples of what was happening to him. And I, as somebody that does not, is not affected by, directly by these things, either by myself or by family members, it can be kind of, it can be difficult to understand it, right? And he talked about, he's like, I know this is, sounds ridiculous, but like what anxiety is, is I would like miss a cut and I'd be sitting alone in a hotel room and I'd be like, you know, listen, you can go to my PGA tour.com page and you can see how much money I've made on the PGA tour. It's not a realistic response, but my response would be like, how am I going to pay these bills? Like I'm just lighting money on fire. I can't afford to do this, blah, blah, blah. And that's like what anxiety is and anxiety led him into drinking. And he's just alone in hotel rooms and, and kind of experiencing the lonely PGA tour life and, uh, and, and drinking way too much and realizing that he's an alcoholic. And like, there is, there is such a, to, you know, to get your life back on track after that is one thing, and to do it and play incredible golf is a totally just different thing. It's not, uh, you know, it, it's they're very not similar things, is what I'm saying. And uh, it's great that he's got both those things in control of his life right, in his life right now. It's interesting to hear him talk about like how he doesn't stay in hotels anymore. He like rents mm. the house. I think he was talking about he and Sepstraka like are, you know, rent a house together, and that that was like kind of their. That's how they sort of stay on top of each other and how they don't like sort of let the loneliness kind of get to them and the anxiety and stuff. So I was going to say, I mean, personally that Chris Kirk podcast is one of my top five NLU pods of all time. I remember I was uh, alone. I was building bunk beds in the basement of the birdhouse, uh, our house up at Sweetens Cove and listening to that pod. It's one of those pods. You know, I know exactly where I was when I listened to it. And it was like, man, this is I was like up there for three days. And I just thought about it for like the next two days after I was like, man, Chris Kirk's a guy you look at, you're like, oh, boring. You know, he's all, you know, first team all tempo, but like, God, what a kind of just, uh, guy could walk through the airport, nobody would recognize him, been on tour for 10 years. Kind of that, that out of that cut from the same cloth as some other UGA guys that have put that career together of like, nah, never going to lose your card, but not really moving the needle for anybody. Uh, but it's just, I think, a, a testament to like, when these guys are able to share and, an hour long or hour and a half long conversation, it does make you root for him. Like I see him at the top of the leaderboard and I immediately go back to like, ah, oh, awesome. Good to see that he's, you know, it's coming full circle. So I'm, I'm very happy uh, for Chris Kirk. It was, it was fun to watch. I was, I was brutal to watch him bounce off the rocks and almost 
uh, take out the windshield on this, the new uh, Leroy Jenkins. We'll get there. We'll get there. But it's also just worth acknowledging. I mean, you know, if you go play golf on the weekend, you know this. But as as people that like work in golf, alcohol is everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere. It so many. You know, some, there's such a there's a social aspect of it. But every golf tournament he goes and plays in, they're selling alcohol in all the stands all around there. Some probably drunk person yelled at him uh, while he's before he hit his third shot into the playoff today. Not today, Chris. Not today. Like it's just everywhere, and it's uh, you know I was at a golf tournament this past week, and there was a guy there that was open. He's like, I'm I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober for 36 years. Yet like there was just drinking going on all around them, and I can't imagine like how difficult that that can be for people and. Uh, it's just worth acknowledging that, uh, you know, that, that, I don't know, that may be different than other sports. Uh, I know there's drinking at basketball games and baseball games and things like that, but just the social culture around golf is so heavy in that. And I wanted to point that out. But that being said, what are we doing on 18? We get to the 18th hole. Chris Kirk has a one shot lead over Eric Cole, who we'll get to. Kirk has 249 yards to the pin. Uh, 18th hole PGA national. Is it like a great hole? I don't know yet, but I love watching PGA tour guys play it, uh, with the tournament on the line, the pin cut all the way on the far right part of it. And he has been slinging draws the whole day. If you watch Chris Kirk and Eric Cole play golf, no matter what the pin was asking of them, they were trying to draw it in there. So I understand how like shot cones work and aiming and dispersion and things like that. And I know he's not aiming at that flag and I know he blocked it way right. But the only thing he couldn't do right there was hit the ball in the water. And it ends up flying directly at the flag, but it does not have all the oomph that it needed. Hits the rocks and almost hits the, the Honda out in the in the water. <laughs> and I I don't think we fully comprehended how funny that would have been if it would have hit that car. And he knew it immediately. Oh, His yeah. reaction was, oh, my God, I just hit it in the water. What am I doing? Like, a brother, I've been there. That's, that's a tough, <laughs> tough feeling when that ball's in the air. I was wondering if there's any scenario where it could have hit the rocks, hit the car, and then come back come to the back. green. Is that, is that a scenario that would possible? You know? Somebody pointed this out. The funny, what would have made it even funnier is if it like broke through a windshield, the yes. alarm would have gone off and nobody <laughs> would have been able to turn it off because it's out of range. You also know that there 1,000% has been a conference call about how far out into the water do we yes. need to put the Honda CRV to make sure that it doesn't get hit. And it's like, okay, we're, we're 50 yards out there. That that's got to be good enough, and that it, they probably almost had a heart attack watching that. I got a oh. DM. Uh, I will up, in case this person wanted this private. I'll keep it private. But it says Honda Nugget. Last year they put that car on the water off eighteen about two weeks before the tournament, but the car got too close to the green and got peppered by resort guests. They ended up having to replace the car and move it way into the pond, like where it is this year, so they can get all the close up shots for the Probos. So that seems like a uh, some well sourced information there, but I believe that a hundred percent. Uh, can you imagine, like you said, like if the alarm just kept going off and going off, would they swim out there to turn it off? I guess they could run, <laughs> just click the keys, but man, that would be sweet. <laughs> if he had to hit a putt, like the whatever putt he had to get in the playoff with the car alarm still going <laughs> off. Well, I mean, Sal, you said it in our, you know, like Slack thread, it was like that this felt like a tournament that we would watch in when I was a junior in high school of like a couple just pretty milquetoast uh, PGA tour guys, you know, trying to hang on with tons of water and just, you know, Eric Cole almost chips it in the water after, uh, Kirk rinses it and the sun's going down. Are we going to get it in? And, you know, personally, I kind of took like a two, three hour nap, uh, 
this afternoon woke up when they were on 14 and it was like oh this is perfect this is great you know we got to basically have we've got a match play situation this is exactly what i'm looking for so i kind of like now i'm hoping at least that the tour falls into maybe this ebb and flow of like really high stakes designated event like last week and then you know what i do it's nice to have a week off where it's like yeah i can just kind of have this on in the background do some chores maybe take a snooze especially when it's february in new york and it's freezing out and i don't want to go outside it was a it was a lovely afternoon with like am i going to say this was like a, a can't miss tournament absolutely not but when the last four or five holes come down to this and you have some storylines of a guy trying to resurrect his career and another guy that is a rookie trying to win for the first time like as a avid golf fan that works for me seasons need an ebb and flow right you yeah, can't just definitely. have like the tension be at 11 the entire year pretending to be at 11 that's yeah, the, exactly that's the problem with the previous version it, the things feel bigger when they've been low right like I, I remember seeing like lord of the rings the first time and like there's if i remember describing it as like oh and there's like an action scene and then it like lasts for like two fucking hours and at some point it's like no man like i need like this tension to sort of like be released and then build up again otherwise this movie is just like one long like cool ass action scene and it's awful and i think that's very true of like even sporting events like not every nfl game is like the most important game that you've ever been in your life there's a discussion to be had around the honda classic in general about this event used to be a huge event. Tiger Woods played in it. Rory played in it. Uh, Justin Thomas played in it just as of a few years ago. And through scheduling rechanges, rejiggering, the players moving up into March, the PGA Championship moving back, and elevating the Bay Hill event and doing all this uh, the waste management's resurrection that it's had and blah, 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 it's just gotten squeezed out. And now it's not been a priority. And the field has not been good for several years now. And it has decreased. But Again, I'm here to say that is going to that is a casualty of the evolution of professional golf, and it is always going to have to be this way. To have growth in other areas, there's going to be events that have to recede and go backwards and go have a different identity. And now, like I said, we don't have to pretend that this event is the same as last week. We do not have to. And if I am a middle-tier player... $8.4 million went up for grabs this week. $1.5 million to the winner. The winner gets in the players, gets in the Masters, the PGA Championship, blah, blah, blah. Gets in all this stuff. And Tiger Woods and John Rahm and Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy are not showing up to beat me at this tournament. I'm a pretty happy camper. Like, I, there's 500 FedEx Cup points on the line. There was 550 last week. Like, I can make a career out of playing in these events. Why are we complaining? Why is anyone complaining about how this is structured. Look, sure, if you're Honda, you're out of here, no sponsor. But if the tour can figure out a way to pay for these purses and have this event run, as Jack Nicholas has indicated from the booth today, that the tour has has basically told him that they're going to have the event next year, whether they have a sponsor or not, I don't know who loses here, really. I mean, the sponsor had the option to continue losing, and they bailed. It's whatever. And maybe somebody else will sponsor it at a different price point, but Man, this works for me. If, if other events are going to go up, others have to go down and have to serve a different purpose. And this, they got maybe got a little lucky with how this one went, but it felt like it served a purpose today. Yeah, I feel like a little bit only sad for if it does eventually go away for like the people who lived in the community and like supported the event for a long time, right? Because it's been what was it fifty years or something that this, they've played in uh, Palm Beach Gardens? Like that's a, an important part of the tour's history, and obviously, like. I don't love the course, but it has produced like some cool moments. Like I immediately when Kirk hit that shot, I, I thought about Rory 
hitting that five wood that he was, you know, against Russell Henley in that playoff when when Rory was like the king of the world, and you were like, oh, this is the next Tiger, this is that dude. And Tiger certainly had like a shit ton of like really good rounds here and played awesome. And we didn't he shoot like sixty two or something ridiculous. To, you know, I remember him hitting like a six iron from like two thirty into that uh, green. It's just like okay, like it's not a like I, if I played that course, I don't think I would think it was like particularly great but for pros like what makes them test them in that sense like i've you know that's the same way i feel about bay hill like yeah it was like super fun to play no but i kind of like watching pros have to do it the ending of this tournament always produces a you know not always but i have a lot of memories from it as well so i'm kind of in on the the bear trap a little bit you can you know i don't think you know if you need to nickname it but (laughs) i I do think it, it looks very difficult and it's fun to watch these guys uh you know as as our guy zinger would say that's just pressure, man. Pressure, That's pressure. all that is. That's just pressure, man. I love God. It was a bingo card today with NBC. We had like it's it's darker than our cameras make it look. It's a match play situation. In the booth, like, hey Jack, you know how do you deal with pressure? You know, it's just it, it's unbelievable. They, we were hitting we were hitting all of our bingos. That was great. I'll say the seventeenth hole is a bit in a way in a lot of ways like twelve at Augusta. I mean, it's a diagonal. You know, the the front left part of the green is much closer than the front right part of the green. There's a bunker in the middle. If you go long, it is you got to decide on your shot shape. And again, watching the two dudes hitting draws all day get to that tee, it's like you can't miss that shot. Like you you are gonna you if you are watching this golf tournament, you are gonna time your bathroom break around making sure you watch that shot into 17. And if you are going at the pin, it's a different club than going at the middle of that green. And a lot of guys end up hitting the club that would get to the pin, but they pull it out of just natural tendency, and it goes in that bunker. And the shot on 15 is similar in that way. And watching Eric Cole get in, into a, a messy situation there um, was just, it's good theater. There's there's something about a really good execution test. I don't think it's a good golf course. I would never want to play it. I don't like watching Thursday through Saturday of this event, but man, watching the, the watching two dudes go head to head down the stretch of that one's like it's a pretty immediate payoff with each shot of like that's what this means right now, and uh, I feel like they did a relatively good job with the drama today. I like seeing dudes hit draws too. I know like just uh, even though even though most guys play a fade off the tee now just because the equipment lets you just hammer it, like it's fun to sing slingy draws. Like this is my favorite thing in all of golf. Maybe that's what also made us feel like it was watching a. High school to high school. from our childhood, because that's I can well, almost these days when I go play with with somebody you know, and I've never played with before. I'm, I can almost tell immediately. I was like, "You are a high school golfer, like you know, like a decent amateur player that's hitting a lazy draw." It's like you played high school golf, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Like that's a just something from like the mid early two thousands of like that's just what you did back then. That's right. I uh, one of my this is not related to high school golf. One of my favorite memes I ever saw was like uh, it, it's a college golfer meme. It's like hey, uh, college golfer, what do you hit from one forty? Like oh, eight iron. What do you hit from one seventy? Hard eight iron. What do you hit from one ninety? <laughs> really hard eight, hard eight iron. iron. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I don't have anything to support this. But I just remember growing up watching golf. And I feel like it's been neutered by technology. It was like nervy shots happen at the end almost all the time. And like that was part of why you tune in at the end, last three holes was like somebody's going to miss a putt. Somebody's going to chunk an iron. Somebody's going to blade a bunker shot. Like it just felt like 
the nerve stuff happened way more frequently than maybe that's just how I remember it than it does now. And then sure enough today, it just, it really hit on the 18th hole with, with Cole's chip and, and Kirk hitting the water there and all that. But, uh, I don't know. A little good, a good mix of that is also, it's just like not something about God mode of ROM versus, versus max. It's like, no one's going to blink here. No one's going to back down here at Riv. It's not going to end in disaster from someone. Um, and that hole just prevents an opportunity for disaster. And we got a little bit of it, but. Well, on that note, like I want to give a shout out to Eric Cole. For Never real. heard his name before. Didn't know anything about him. Thirty-four year old tour, you know, rookie. Uh, he's played in eleven events so far. He's made six cuts, uh, one now two top twenty-fives, but uh, putted the lights out. I think Azinger said he was what forty-nine for forty-nine inside five feet. Um, and you know who could? I can't even count the amount of feet of putts he made. So before I took my nap on holes three, four, and five, uh, he made some really big putts. He made a really long one, and then he made a really important putt to save bogey. After, Solly, to your point, after he chunked one, like, inexplicably into the water. I, I think that was five. Maybe it was six. It was somewhere on the front nine. He just, he was Bogeyed like, six. He made a bomb birdie on the par three fifth, and then uh, turned around and bogeyed six and made the Yeah, it's yeah. just awful, awful iron. And, uh, you know, rinses it, and then he makes a big bogey save. And so I was like, all right, you could almost see, like, I think that was a massive putt for his confidence. But he took it all the way down to the wire into a playoff, and, and I hope, uh, you know, he, he, he's, it seems like he's building some momentum. I think his top 25 was at the AT&T Pro-Am, and here he is, you know, uh, with a solo second. So good for him. Crash Davis situation, wasn't it? Like a minor tour legend or whatever, finally getting his, his shot. I enjoy watching that guy hit the golf ball. Man, his the three-wood or whatever wood he sent into 18 on Saturday um, was just so fully committed and blasted and like not shying away from the moment at all. I mean, there's reason I guess the stories about about this guy are legendary in terms of cleaning up on the mini tour I was riding back uh from Tampa this past week with Justin Huber uh who caddied for me this past week and is likely not to continue his professional golf career and it was interesting to just hear him kind of talk about a 34 year old guy that is now very very close to winning on the PGA tour and I'm not saying like Eric Cole specifically is responsible for like keeping careers alive but the fact that that can happen, like a, um, a guy that has toiled around on mini tours for a long, long, long time, can go out, can improve, can get to the Corn Ferry Tour, can make it from the Corn Ferry Tour and play on the PGA Tour and can go into a playoff with Chris Kirk and lip out a 10-foot par putt in the playoff to take it to Monday is what keeps careers alive for a long, long, long time. Like that belief that your life can change that quickly and it really can change that quickly. Philip Knowles here in Jacksonville Beach turned his light his career around with the last event before the corn Ferry playoffs got into the playoffs got a second in the playoffs and now he plays in the pga tour like it really can't happen that fast and you wouldn't believe how many thousands of dudes are out there trying to do what eric cole just did and i wanted to shout that out which is like rory's point right we're just last week we were talking to him at the genesis and people were saying well are you guys trying to screw over the bottom half of the tour like you know these these elevated events or designated events are not gonna like what about the stories or whatever and he's like anybody can still make it like you can you do well like if look if someone had if cole had won the honda he would have gotten in the masters like he would have gotten into the players he would have gotten into a bunch of different places where you can go from being a 34 year old unknown to like legitimately being you know a guy who gets into the freaking designated events and you're in the running for freaking five million dollar victories like i i don't know that i quite buy this idea that the shuffle and the remaking of everything is going to totally screw over the little guys because this is a great example of like he's one 
you know, sort of nervy chip away from essentially like remaking his whole life and getting into that. So at least knocking on the door and opening up the door to get into the whole sort of big dogs kind of playground. KV, I'm right there with you. I'm kind of sick of that that BS that like, oh, you guys don't, you know, the, you know, the James, the, the James Hahn stuff, yeah. the the Fratelli stuff. It's like, dude, you, like you said, Solly, $8.4 million. Eric Cole's made $330,000 so far or something like, you know, in that range. Now, what was the second place purse? Probably close to a million bucks, something like that. Probably 800, 700 K, something like that. And now that, like, the security that comes with that for the next at least six to nine months, it's like, talk about, you know, okay, now you can start to maybe plan your schedule out a little better, do some things that that might help you. So I think, I almost, and then the other piece of this is, you know, Adam Shupak said that Chris Kirk skipped the Genesis so he could play in this event because he knows that he's got the best chance of, you know, having a great finish. Well, then he goes out and wins it. It's like, you basically none of the top dogs are showing up. You had you've got an even better chance to win all this money and and put yourself ahead now. Uh, Eric Cole won nine hundred fifteen thousand six hundred dollars uh, this past week, and um, it I do think it. And we talk we've talked about this a bunch on other pods, and this is I, I maybe this is just kind of where things were when, when things were kind of in flux and first being discussed last August about the changes in the system that we'd heard this as because I, I don't think they decided on this right, and it's not talked about in the main you know, ecosystem of, of golf media or anything about how they're determining these fields at the elevated and designated events in, into next year, right? This year is kind of a hybrid year, but next year, how do you get into them? If they're limited field, is it going to be just, you know, WGCs or are you going to have some churn? And one thing we've been screaming from the rooftops of how it's important that like how important, how sick would it be if in the Honda Classic, again, you had the leaders getting ready to come down, but also, hey, Justin Suh, a top five finish here, a top seven, a top eight, whatever they decide on in this tournament is going to get you into Bay Hill next week and you're going to play for $20 million. And Eric Cole, you finish runner up next week, you're still, you're going to go play for $20 million and you're hot and you're going to go to another Florida golf course with water and you can hit your draws and do that. And Again, you talk about your life changing, like you just played your way right into that. That changes the dynamic of these non-designated events. It adds another layer of something for you to root for or watch for or another you know reason to watch. Instead of, again, pretending this is the same as the Genesis, embrace what makes it different. And that's kind of why I'm writing for like a, an event getting worse by all accounts, like if we're saying that, but it's okay for week to week to, for there to be some fluctuation. Um, and I think this is just a necessary change in how things are done. The, the key to that though, Solly, I agree with all of that is you need to outline it yeah. so, like very clearly, right? There needs yes. to be a structure to it. And, and that's so that you're almost helping the telecast, the broadcasters, like yes. this is the storyline. Like, make it so it is, like, these 10 guys, like, so they can talk through that. And then now your storylines are developing about guys that we've literally never heard of going to school. Like, Nova Southeastern University, apologies to any Nova Southeastern University grads out there. I have no idea. I didn't know that school existed. And that Eric Cole went, I was like, what? What are we, you know, this is, but to me, it's like, that's kind of fun. It's like, oh, cool. Now I'm going to look up where that is. <laughs> Monday qualifier, Ryan Gerard uh, finished fourth place, solo fourth place this week, like, he should be in Bay Hill next week, you know, in this new system, right? And I don't, uh, I don't know how exactly how this works for the or where the the top ten guys this week get to use their top ten exemption because this goes Bay Hill into players. I don't know if it's uh, what it would be for because I don't think it gets you into either one of those. But that would be such a sick element. You had you weren't even in the Honda, and then all of a sudden now you're playing for twenty million dollars. Like wow. that is that's sick. Which I think speaks a little bit to a, a maybe a more macro thing of cleaning up the exemptions of always, but you have to have a PhD to understand them. Like, I feel like I, 
still struggle with how all the ways you can get into certain events and not others. If they put some effort maybe into over the next couple of years, cleaning that up, making it easier to understand, I think that would help all of this stuff work together more. Uh, but I know that's like, there's probably a lot of, um, what do they say in the, in, in Silicon Valley, the uh, technical debt, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of uh, built up uh, scar tissue there. I'm sure it's hard to clean that up. I'll say for the designated, they need to spell that out clearly. I don't think people will yes. care about non-designated how these fields get filled out because people don't care now about the bottom. Yeah. You know that, what no, I mean? That's, like, that's totally fair. But yeah. almost from from these non-designated ones, how do they lead up into the elevated, designated, whatever? And then it's just a little bit, the structure of it's too confusing for you to like buy into, um, you know. I mean, we've talked about this with the FedEx Cup for forever it's like oh i just don't, don't really know how the points work but i guess you keep flashing this leaderboard up there so i'll trust you guys on it um our down the leaderboard segment is brought to you by our friends at roback listen uh, I'm, I'm actually making that up they did not offer to, to sponsor this segment at all uh, maybe they did with tc not on they know that'll go a little bit quicker but uh we are thrilled to be working with them for another year i'm going to go off script we talk about the polos a lot we talk about the performance q zips a lot we you know we talk about the hoodies I intentionally didn't wear Roback tonight because I feel like I'm overdoing it. I got I got too much. I'm doing way too much with it. I got to talk about their shorts. They sent us over some of their shorts. They look a lot like real actual like golf shorts, if you will, yet they are athletic in feel and fit. TC actually wore them at uh, Sawgrass, TPC Sawgrass, the stadium course. They did some film room uh, filming out there, a, a video that Roback is going to be bringing to you shortly. And he's like, yeah, no one can notice. No one even notices that I'm wearing athletic shorts out here. So uh, they got awesome joggers that we haven't talked a lot about about i wear them in airports all the time uh then of course the hoodies and the q-zips and the polos you've heard us say enough amazing things about those but if you have not checked out roback.com you can use code nlu there for 20 percent off your first order that's r-h-o-b-a-c-k.com you get 20 percent off polos q-zips hoodies tees vests shorts joggers you name it kick off 2023 right with roback check them out roback.com I, I do want to assure people big roback drop in the pro shop will be in late April. So just, you know, we're, we're working on it, but it's, it's hard to, hard to keep this stuff in stock, but a lot of messages this week about the rowbacks coming back. It is coming back in a big way, but please be patient. Sepp Straka, another top five finish coming off the win last year. Neil's boy, Sepp, uh, Ben Taylor, Justin Suh, and Shane Lowry rounding out the top five along with Ben Martin. We, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Tyler Duncan's uh, solo third finish as well. And I would like to give a massive shout out to David Lingmurth. PGA Tour uh, rookie round two, uh, David Lingworth T seven guy just he's just a gamer man. He's back. I love it. How are we defining rookie here? Well, he's well Corn Ferry. I guess Corn Ferry time. graduate. I wouldn't say Corn he's Ferry a rookie. That's that's fair. He's not a rookie, but <laughs> Corn Ferry graduate. So, but I mean, coming back from you know qualifying off the Corn Ferry tour. Hell yeah! Massive shout out to Lingworth. Yeah, it's kind of like virginity. You lose your rookie status one time. It's not something. <laughs> That's fair. That, not, I misspoke there. Not something, not something you get back. But yeah, he's, uh, listen, he's a, he's a friend of ours here in this household. So he's uh, moved up to 63rd in the FedEx Cup. That's something we're watching and we're rooting for and very, very excited about. Definitely the highest anyone has ever finished on the PGA Tour who has also like danced between Randy's legs at a wedding. <laughs> so congrats to David. <laughs> Uh, that is exactly right. Yeah, I, I do want to kind of clear up the rest of uh, what you were saying there about Kirk skipping Genesis to play this as well. Like that decision is super interesting to me, right? Because if you really think you can top five, top ten, it can outpace a, a golf course. He's not. He struggled at Genesis. The draw does not play well. It plays a bit too firm. 
whatever the reasons may be. A, a, a T40 there doesn't do a whole lot for you in terms of earning and FedEx Cup points rather than come and play something like this. That's a super interesting decision, and especially for somebody that's playing as well as he is to to go that route. I'm not sure a lot of guys are going to do that, but that was a, a great, great get there from Adam Schupack at Golf Week. So, Hamsterdam stuff. Did you guys catch the walk and talk with Chess and Hadley? I, I only got I a little bit of it. What did you think of it? I, it's, those are going to only be as good as the questions you ask. And it turned into a little bit of a, I don't want to say bro fest, but just wasn't, it wasn't about the golf. It was just more mm-hmm. about like, let's introduce Chess and Hadley to everyone. And I guess, especially a week like this, it's like, man, I already know who Chess and Hadley is. And I think anybody that's watching this on Saturday probably has a pretty good idea. So maybe we can introduce him. But he kind of, he started taking his headphones out when he was hitting. It wasn't really what we were getting with the CBS version of it. That was my takeaway. I had the exact same takeaway. Like, just literally tell me about the golf shot you're going to hit. I don't need like the like your high school stuff. Like, I, and that is look. I like Zinger, but it's uh, probably a little bit on him. Like, literally, just break me down. Like, what are you going through in this shot? Tell me what your caddy needs to talk to you about. Like, how how are you approaching this hole? That's the technical nerd stuff that just is like way more interesting. Like, imagine getting LeBron. Like as he was dribbling the ball up the court and be like, so LeBron, like, why, why'd you decide to skip college? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> just I, I want to know like how you're going to attack this defense. How are you going to go about it? So yeah, what play are you running right mm-hmm. now? Why and why are you running that? Oh, because we've got a mismatch here. Like that's we're watching tournament golf. I want to talk about tournament golf with the player. That's the whole concept of this for me. If you guys want to introduce another type of walk and talk, that's fine. But that's not really what I'm looking for, and I feel like that we can do that, you know, off the course, basically. I think it's interesting because I don't think the way they did it is very sustainable. I think Chesson was great for that like personality hit, and I get the angle of like let's humanize these guys, like let's give a chance to kind of show off their personalities while they walk down the fairway. I think the comedy routine of the back and forth will get old very quickly, and again, that's just not that sustainable. What makes the CBS one work is like. Dude, all of these guys know how to talk about golf shots and golf-specific stuff, and that's what's going to make it easy to transition from one person to the next, whereas, yeah, if it's just going to be a ham it up and, and then, yeah, you take the AirPods out for the shot. I get it. They're trying to probably do something a little different than CBS, but I do. I wonder about the sustainability of that. But so. why do something different? It's clearly working I know, over there. I know, I know. Like, share a best practice, ego. right? And, ego. And also, I guarantee it's ego. It's perfect. <laughs> I mean, just, like, that's how media works. Like, if someone yeah. does something well, like, other media is like, oh, well, we can't copy that exactly. Like, we got to do our own version of it. But I think the perfect example is, is with Morikawa last week, like, I was not real into him on the Netflix documentary and, and, and no, like, I'm not trying to diss him. It's more just like asking these guys to be cool and funny. It, it's like, you don't at, just ask them. They're really good at golf. That's what I want to know about. And so that what he did on 10 at Riv was fascinating because he was just talking about how good of a golfer he is basically. And you got to kind of get a window into his thought process as he's playing a really cool hole. And I feel like, you know, yeah, Chesson's got a great personality, but that's not really what I'm looking for there. One thing I learned like a long time ago as a sports journalist is if you ask people to talk about themselves, they often are terrible at it. But if you ask someone who is like obsessed with their, their profession to explain something about their profession, they can really go deep into that. Like if you go to a major league pitcher and you're like, hey, look, could you show me literally how to throw a curveball? They'll be like, all right, come on, come over here and I'll explain this to you. And they'll get really technical and really deep in it. And like, this is how I throw it. Like when I'm, and that's can be really fascinating. So like you, you ever hear Tiger, like talk about like 
here's how I hit like a hooking pitch, right? Or a, like something, or GT does this a lot. Like he can explain so well in depth. On, and we had a, a thing with a, a title shoot last week where we were asking Jordan Spieth to explain like, all right, how do you literally hit a draw? And it was fascinating. Like DJ and I were like, oh my God, this is such nerdy shit, but it, we loved it. And he's one of the best at it. But every golfer can do something to that effect, right? They can really get deep in the technical aspects of it. And that's that's really kind of fascinating. And I will say it takes the pressure off the broadcast crew. If you put them in a sandbox and say, hey, guys, this is going to be about the, you know what hole it's going to be. You know who it is. You have time to prep what they're good at. So then maybe you could, you know, based on where they drive the ball or whatever, you can start to talk to them about their golf game. And that's that to me is the purpose of this segment. So I would love to see it not veer towards the you know what what do you have a dog like what yeah like what what did you the high school it's like what are we talking about what are we doing eventually we're gonna get one of these though where like somebody hits just a really bad shot and <laughs> that's gonna be kind of awesome yeah just well really mess that one up uh i don't know what to tell you guys about that just kind of came over the top of it just smother hooked it left and uh which would be awesome it would, would be, be very awesome. relatable very very so I will say on the on more Amsterdam front, Brad Faxon was excellent to listen to. Mm -hmm. I feel like he is a golf announcer that is not doing an impression of an announcer, is just talking, and I hope it stays that way. I think that's way easier to do earlier in your career than it is later. He has experience doing this, has worked for NBC in the past, and has obviously was a part of the Fox telecast, but is now full-time with NBC, and it is a. It feels like a nice change of pace for uh. You know, a, a, I'm not saying the crew got stale, but it's a it's a fresh voice, the one that I think is brings a lot of experience and can talk a lot about specific stuff. He gave a great story about Tom Weiskopf. Uh, I forget as I'm as I'm mentioning, I forget what the specific of it was, but I was like, hey, that was a nice little nugget there, talking about how to aim away from trouble or something like that. But um, that's that's someone I, I look forward to listening to talk about golf this year. He, so. he reminded me a little bit of Bones, like give you like good information, don't like seem showy or like you know kind of over the top about it just kind of really a nice calm sort of way of explaining stuff yeah it felt like nbc is is feeling the feeling the heat feeling the feeling cbs uh you know the gap widening a little bit and feels like all right they're they're they're, they're trying they're making a little little effort here the commercial load was, was tough but did yeah. you didn't you guys feel like they went a little bit hard on the like son of a pga tour player like i had never heard of bobby cole at all and i was like i looked it up and i was like oh like he was like one one time and he was from south africa and he was like his biggest career thing was like the british amateur like they must have brought that up like three times and i was kind of like eh, i don't really care like i, I don't know what's <laughs> i kind of i mean i as somebody who's never heard of this guy i, yeah. I feel like they're they're yeah. doing their best and then i think the more the storyline was his mother yeah right who's like was was legit so and she's out there so i think that probably was a um i think that was a fair thing to be leaning on to to add some color you gotta do something i guess like you can't yeah and that's where I actually feel like the PGA Tour, as if I can put my uh, my D rider shoes on, like it, it's been a slow journey. It's been a slow journey getting here, but I no longer feel like I need to go seek out this information about the people that are playing in the tournament like I once did. Like 2016, if this happened, I'd be like, "Who is Eric Cole? Why have they not taught me anything about him?" Whereas, like, dude, if you like, it's not like the most engaging and most viral content ever. But like, if you go to like their Twitter profile while someone is making a charge up the leaderboard like they've got some like content up around the person that at least gives you like a crash course into what their story is and in that's between like, akshay videos they've sure. got some content <laughs> there's a lot but like it's just at least worth acknowledge again it's kind of a backhanded compliment because of how like obvious that is that it should be there but there was a time when it was
was not there, and they at least are are meeting the bare minimum in that category now. So I want to talk a little bit about Jack in the booth. I mean, obviously he's going to be, and this is to me, this is a good week to have him in the booth for thirty minutes, like they did. But I thought there was some good stuff in that final interview when they cut to the video of of him in there with uh, Azinger and Dan Hicks of. I, I get a little frustrated, Jack. It's like, is this your hometown event or is it Memorial? And are we going to have both? Are we going to ride for both? Because I think that's just being a little greedy where it's like, hey, I, I I also feel bad if, you know, this community loses this tournament. But at the same time, like, it's not, it's, it, something has to give here, right? And and it seemed like he was like, well, I have assurances that we're going to have an event here. There's nothing else in South Florida. Okay, that's a fair argument. But I feel like it puts the tour or, Maybe it, what I what I want as a golf fan is what is the best place in South Florida to host an event? And I think we need to have an unbiased view of like, is it here just because it's always been here? And this is where you started your foundation. And we're just going to lean on that as like, well, it has to be here then. I think that's a little unfair, especially when like we're going to get to Memorial up at Muirfield in you know, three or four months. And that's going to be Jack's hometown event. And so I'm like, well, I, you can't have it both ways in my head. So I got a little frustrated with that whole, you know, cause, and, and not like Jack got a little emotional at the end, which I thought was very sincere, but it's like, Hey, you still have Memorial. Like, it's not like they're, they're disrespecting you. Like that one is a designated event that everybody's going to be at. I think it, it going to the Pebble beach pro-am this year changed my thoughts on this just a little bit in terms of like, again, like these anti these standing events are way more about the charities and like foundations involved with them than they are the, the TV entertainment product. And they've not aged great into the TV entertainment product element of, of professional golf in the PGA Tour, right? But it's, I don't know how to explain this exactly, but it's like the event is almost like separate, separate from the PGA Tour. And like the tour tacks its name on it and brings a lot of branding and a lot of, you know, K, uh, television money into the event and, and blah, 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 and brings its stars into it, yet the event at its core is just about like the charity, the charitable element of that. Right. And I know sitting here for us, usually charities are like kind of a footnote in the conversation. It's like, Oh yeah, on top of this, they raised a bunch of money for charity, but we care about the entertaining golf, you know, as, as avid golf fans. And the, you know, the benefit of that on the back end is a lot of money for charity. But in that regard, I know we pe we poke fun at Jack a lot, uh, like a lot. And what? Uh, what? For, for this, like it seems it always his charitable efforts seem very genuine and, um, in, in that regard, I, I get kind of where he's sitting at to say like, uh, you know, making sure that this event like doesn't go away and does, they don't like lose, lose track of what the original purpose of it is, I guess. So I don't know. It, it's a long wind. It's a way of saying like for, for a lot of the people that are intimately involved with it, like the charitable aspect is like what they want to be doing with their time at this stage in their life. And I'm, I don't know, somewhat sensitive to that. Yeah. And that, that's a little bit I was alluding to earlier. Like one of my friends is from that area and she was talking to me, texting me this week about like, it makes me really sad that it just gets sort of dismissed and written off. And like, I used to, you know, skip class so that I could sort of go to this tournament, you know, in high school and like all of our friends would be buzzing and talking about it. And like, there's a whole community of people who like looked forward to this, you know, back when it was a thing and it's like part of their traditions, part of their lives. And that's the ripple effects of that are like, okay, they're willing to give money to charity. They're willing to be volunteers for the tournament. Like, I think we can get a little bit sort of snarky and dismissing like some of these little events where we're like, Oh, you know, this is, this has to go, or this is dumb. And like, it is really matter to those communities where it's kind of been a part of the fabric of that place for a long time. And I think it's always important to be cognizant of that. 
Uh, anything else from uh, Honda Classic this week? I, I my only final Hamsterdam thing. Uh, the commercial break before, in the 18th hole led to a cascading effect of like, oh, and here's Chris Kirk hitting a shot into 18, and oh my God, it's in the water without ever setting up like, here's where he should be aiming, here's the only mistake he can't make right now. All of the drama of the entire tournament coming down to that shot and getting rushed into it was just awful and so bad, and they just got to get it figured out. Sally, that's so well said. <laughs> like I, I got up to uh, heat up some Thai food. Some, reheat some Thai food, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh, whoa, and I'm, oh, whoa, 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 what, what happened? You know, like threw me off. I didn't get a chance to sit back down. Bad pacing there for sure. Not good, not good. Can't have it. Shall we get to the fun stuff? Uh, I know Neil spent a lot of his weekend hanging out on this on the CW, checking out their. I did not. I spent two hours. Two. I, I sat down and watched it for two hours yesterday. I flipped over a couple times today. Uh, to the live Maya Kobe, the kickoff. You were one of the I mean, point. Can you point guys two. believe the moves that, <laughs> that the four aces pulled? I can't even year, believe it. Off yeah. season. Oh my goodness! I mean, some of the trades they pulled off. Everywhere I go, people are talking about the you know the four aces. I just had a few observations. Uh, one, it, it's it is a golf tournament, so you know it's still fun to watch some of these guys like hit the golf ball, and I I forgot. Truly, it's so easy to forget some of the guys that went to live. I for, totally forgot that Paul Casey went to live. So the first thing I see is Paul Casey on the 15th at uh, where they had Club 54. Did you forget because he once said it would be hypocritical of him to play for Saudi Arabia or play in Saudi Arabia because of no, his I UNICEF just missed it. I oh, was okay. like, oh I yeah, just, Paul Casey's gone. I, I could like, understand if you were confused, yeah. but I forgot about and, that because that's what so he said. That's all you know what he said. He said, "Fuck them kids." <laughs> So he's hitting in on Saturday. He's hitting in like the fifteenth green, and he's got a fifteen foot. He you know hits a good shot in. You got the ambient music in the background. So I just wrote this down. I said, "You know what this Paul is Casey, right now? Arlo White is still trying to tell us about the results, and we're just like we're just laughing. At it. They're, they're taking the golf way too seriously, and we're just laughing about what's happening. That's Neil right now. No, but I had I just want to get this out because I think it summed it up perfectly for me. Like this is Paul Casey, the guy that was like kicking fans out of the Dell match play for you know." talking in his backswing, takes himself super, super serious. And he's over there, has a 15-foot putt, and, and Club 54 is raging. The soundtrack is 1993 Robin S. Banger, You Have to Show Me Love. Mm. And he just three putts from 15 feet, and, you know, geez, he's furious. And it's just, you know, two chicks are making out in Club 54. The guy's struggling <laughs> with the credit card processor. They're Because – the broadcasts are like throwing in all this B-roll like right after this putt. And they're like, oh, check out how much fun they're having at Club 54. And it's just very uh, um, disjointed. Like everything you just – and then they then they throw the um, the overview, the drone overviews. I get a migraine. Oh, They've got like the FPV nuts. drones like doing the whole like F-16 fighter pilot thing. Uh, they've got the cup mics juiced. So anytime like a guy like knocks in a tap in, it's just like – it sounds like church bells in my house. It's crazy. KVV, before I share a few more thoughts, I, I want to kick it to you because I know you watched a little bit of it. Uh, just, I just peeked in a little bit. I, I mean, I just still think like I've made this point a few times, but it's just not different enough from, you know, now that they have commercials and now that it's just like a regular golf product, what is, what is inspiring me to tune in? Like I tuned in a little bit just because I wanted to see like a little bit of DJ and a little bit of Cam Smith, but that's just not interesting enough for me to, especially if they're not even like leading the tournament, like Charles Howe wins. And you're telling me like, this is your, uh, it, it must grind. I, I got to think like every time 
like a Charles Howe or a you know Henry Duplessis or or Peter Uline like is in contention that they live like Greg Norman has to be like oh fuck you know like I I really it would be so much better for us if like Cam Smith or DJ was like dominating this and they're just not and so I don't know I mean like I, I tuned in it was more interesting to me a little bit to tune in to be the press conference shit in the beginning of the week where you know Brooks is trying to sort of explain his way around his portrayal and the Netflix stuff and be like bro like I appreciate your honesty and all that. And I really glad that you opened up like that, but there's no explaining away. Like there's no context that was going to provide you, make you look better in all that stuff. So I don't know. I mean, look, it's my cope is not like a great course. And that just so to hear Pat Perez, like, you know, being smarmy about like, well, I like that we're here and, and the, the tour the tour's is done. Oh, okay. Like, well, how does that sick <laughs> as a viewer? Do I give a two shits at all? No, I don't. Uh, it didn't even make so, any sense. No, like, and, and, and the live bots being like, oh, Pat Frez firing shots. Dude, like, what does that even mean? What is the shot? Yeah, what, what, like, I don't know. <laughs> no one pretended when it was on the tour schedule, no one pretended like this was a great golf course at a great event, right? Like, now, all of a sudden, it, it's you're getting a knockoff PGA tour course and event, and you're going to try to pretend like you have, like, you're just it's all so fucking fake man it's all so fake every all of the juice is fake and uh it, it just watching a little bit it was like man this thing is way closer to the slime cup than it is like the honda classic and they just like don't know it yet they're still like trying to be the honda classic way more than they realize whereas like dude it shouldn't matter who the players are out it doesn't really matter who the players are out there like you just have like you're the kevin Nas and jason kokrax and all that are just not going to change much to the point like it's kind of when we were in Korea, they have legitimately have night golf that's like men's and women's league that's just on TV, like and people watch it and the people are like plus eight and plus twelve and but it's golf on TV and people I assume are watching it. That's more of what this feels like it should be versus like oh yeah the best athletes in the world should be competing in this environment with music and teams. Like it's not the test. It's still not a test of who is the best of anything. It's still just the best of the sellouts. Like that's all that really, that's all you really are. So why are the best players playing there? And we all know the answer is money. So I'm sorry. Which is a bummer that, you you know, you got to flip back and forth. I I can see though, like there's a bit of, for me watching it, like I wasn't disinterested and maybe it's because I'm a pretty knowledgeable golf fan of like, Oh, it's fun for me to see like, Oh, there's, you know, uh, Charles Howe, I haven't seen him in a while. Like, how's his game look? Right. I'm just, you know, if I'm actually watching it, there's a curiosity for me to watching it. But what really frustrated me was I felt like the broadcast was trying to uh, trick me with some stuff. And like, saw your point, fake stuff. Like, they ran this segment of like Brooks and DJ, like smack talking each other about the trades they made in the offseason. And it was just fake juice. It was like so obvious. You know, and it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. They're putting these guys in a position where they're supposed to be like charismatic and funny and and have good smack talk. And it's like, well, they're just good golfers. That doesn't mean they're going to be good like comedians or good, you know, uh, boxing promoters or whatever you're asking them to do here. It just comes across as fake, period. And then the like right after that Paul Casey scene that was just like, you know, chef's kiss, uh, they they cut to uh, Troy Mullen doing a profile like the uh, one of the par threes. And she's like walking through her shots and she's, it's just like stock B-roll. She like hit a chip and it was like almost supposed to be like a playing lesson, but then they would just roll. They rolled the same B-roll clip of the ball coming down to the hole. She's like, see, and see how well that one went when I use the leading edge and see how well this one went. And it was like, you didn't hit that shot. You, you didn't show me the real shot. You just 
showed her hitting the ball and then like a B-roll, a stock footage of some, you know, ex- assistant producer like rolling the ball towards the hole. And that's the kind of stuff that pisses me off. It's like you're treating me as a viewer like I'm stupid. And I hate that. Well, um, also in our Airbnb this week, Huber flipped on fishing and like I just have literally never, ever, ever watched fishing. And we just like, we're kind of watching it, whatever. Who's this guy? Oh, this, he won last week and blah, blah, blah. And oh, they're over in this part and they're covering it. And at no point was I like, oh, is this like the best league or is this the best fisherman in the world? Or like, I, it was just, it was about like that event. That is like Liv's only hope on the CW is just like, oh yeah, yeah. We're, it's like on TV and it's like on in the background. And like, these guys are on this team and this might be going on. They're, them marketing this to golf fans, I don't think is ever going to work. I just don't think golf fans are going to be like, this is the, this is what I want out of the game of golf at the competitive level. It should be like this with music and shorts and all of this shit, other shit going on. And I, I think it's way more of like trying to capture like the TV crowd in general. I think they're going to fall short of that, but I think that's a way better hope than, oh, this is a better product than what already exists in golf. The point two rating that they got was actually better than some of their terrible shows on the CW. So, like, uh, it was in line with. Uh, it looks like you know if you go scripted shows, uh, if unscripted shows, I think it's uh, pretty. But it was it beat out World's Funniest Animals, uh, so that's good. Uh, Kung Fu season three, Penn and Teller, Penn and Teller fool us. Uh, so there, there's something we could build on here, I guess. Yeah, is your, your debut of Teller catching strays. Hate that for him. <laughs> What's a point two rating mean? Can you explain that? I had a couple of people asking me, and I was like, I faked like I knew, but I can't explain it. I don't know enough well enough to speak. It's like of the percentage of households, like point two people are watching it. Uh, other things, so like, uh, I'm looking at the live stuff here. Like a a point two rating uh, for All American Homecoming got like six hundred thousand viewers. I, I doubt that live is actually getting that many but maybe i mean that would be a huge huge bump from what they were getting when they were on youtube and like ten thousand people were tuning in so i mean it's just it's just pretty much in line with like you know a test pattern on the cw like people are watching it out of you know habit or whatever i it's just it is fascinating to think about like i would love to see how many downloads they had i guess i saw greg norman was talk about how the the app was like the second most downloaded app or something for the friday uh, prior to it so who knows? Apple store does not work on most downloaded. It's like mm-hmm. the most out of, you know, all the new stuff ends up rocking to the top to encourage. Yeah, it's, that's all fake. It's all fake. It's not real. It's not how it works. That's just not how well, it works. I, I, was, I was paying attention to the advertising a little bit too. Like I know they, they, Amstel Ultra seems to be the only, you know, sponsor billboard they, they have on the course other than the, just the live golf billboards. I saw a Citizens Bank ad. I saw News Nation a few times. A lot of CW house ads, which is great. Looks like some bangers on their uh, scripted shows. Uh, Popeye's Chicken, Bet MGM, and Bet Nardi Putters. Those were the 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 only real national ads I saw. Otherwise, it was like local TV, you know, deep car dealers, law firms, stuff like that. So I gotta wonder if they're, you know, because that's I think the what the deal is they're doing like a rev share right on the on the broadcast it's not they're not getting any rights fees for this so they have to sell these ads to somebody or else it's just a total money pit but what if it's a total money pit get this that would be get tough. this again 
They just have to pretend like it's not a money pit. Like they don't have to actually make the money, but they can't say the quiet part out loud loud that this is a giant sports washing exercise, right? So they're going to pretend like getting on TV is a big deal and they're going to pretend like it's churning out a lot of money. We know in the legal documents, they've said they've been barely able to generate any revenue yet, yet they're still spending $350,000 on a shrimp on shrimp cocktails for every party. Uh, I made that up. Don't please don't report that tracker accounts. But uh, you know, spending all this money on the shrimp cocktails at the at the parties that they're just dying to tell us that they're having. Like we don't get invited to the parties. I don't know why I have to see a video every week of your damn parties. It's the same edit every single time. We're good. We don't need to see this. The uh, the other thing that, uh, in theory, I think that the team golf stuff is interesting, but the delivery of it is really confusing. Like the leaderboard. I don't have a problem with the full screen on the left side, the full screen leaderboard. I think that's, you know, a decent graphic, but the way it's organized with the individuals up top and the teams below is, is confusing. And there's just a lot, a lot of colors. So that's a whole different story, but the team format in theory is good, but it's not very good because none of the teammates are playing together. Right. So it's like, it's never going to be very exciting because the whole, to me, the whole value of the team aspect is like the Ryder Cup guys celebrating together or like playing together like two versus two or like having some type of camaraderie. And so it's just this abstract team component of like these guys are all over the course on a shotgun start. And there's not, it's not adding anything to the viewing experience, I guess. And I, I, I didn't realize that until watching it. Um, because in theory, I've, I've always thought like, ah, oh, team aspect to golf is something that I think would be interesting, but it's just not being executed in a way that's interesting to me right now. What if it, you could rethink all of live, right. And just do it as like, all right, it's foursomes. Two guys are on each team. Like the aces have two guys in a pairing. They're playing against the cliques. They have to beat the cliques in this match to get a point, uh, you know, and they have to play. I think the- that would be so much if they had gone with more of more Ryder cup formats and more four ball foursomes type if it was about the team they're stuck in the middle is it about the player or is it about the teams but the two combined it's just i don't know i i, I guess i'll i'll i will actually stick up for living this a little bit i think at minimum it gives you two chances for an exciting finish right instead of just one of just stroke play right and this week was zero maybe that's just two. this week so yeah. that's that's just, a fair feedback solid like i have not watched a lot of leaves, yeah. so i'm parachuting <laughs> in here <laughs> Listen, it also might not be interesting, uh, even if it is close, but it's going to take time for the team stuff to kick in if it ever does, because I still don't know how the teams are made. Like, I don't understand why Taylor Gooch is not on the four aces. Is it contractual? Is there a salary cap? Is it, you know, did he not get along with his teammates? Did he get traded? Did he, you know, could he not get a long-term deal? Are they, did he lose his bird rights? Did he, uh, you know, he got got swoon, the, the range goats just. They they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Again, who who the hell knows? But it's not like a strategy thing. Like they're just moving people around from team to team. Like you know, because there's I I don't know. It, it, anyways, that's gonna take some time, right? Until we learn, like, oh shit, the four aces should have locked up blah 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 to a long term deal, or they locked up Reed to a long term deal, and he's playing terrible. What do they do with them now? Then it kind of starts getting interesting. But in the beginning, it's gonna take a long freaking well, and time. That, they're trying to almost. Off. Fake it till they make it on yeah. like that's where that smack talk segment yeah. with DJ and Brooks. I think they're trying to almost create this uh, team rivalry stuff, but you can't fake that stuff. It's got to actually like they actually have to care. And I don't think those two specifically, I don't think they fucking care. They just want the check to clear. Like those are lo- those two are lone wolves. They always have been. And they're, they're team captains. It's like, damn, man. Uh, last thing though, and I, I'm curious to get your feedback on this. 
I, the biggest bummer for me is like, I like Faraday and I, his shtick never really got old for me. Like I, I wish he was still a part of week to week, like, you know, professional golf. And I, he was another one I kind of forgot. I was like, oh yeah, Faraday left. Like, and even, you know, I kind of miss him, I guess is where I'm at. And I don't know if you guys feel the same way. I felt like his thing got a little bit tired and just general, like he was kind of, I don't want to say coasting, but like all of the funny things that David Faraday said seemed to be like they happened like five years ago or 10 years ago. Whenever people were like, oh my God, David Faraday's so funny. They're mostly talking about stuff that happened quite a while ago. And so I, I get why he decided he wouldn't want to be a part of it anymore because he was wanted to be something else. Like he didn't just want to be the guy who, you know, came on the broadcast four times or like he wanted to be in the studio. He wanted to have a bigger role and look, go all more power to you. I just, uh, you know, didn't seem like super, like a huge additive thing to me. Like he was supposedly this big get, you know, Faraday McCord was a thing a long time ago. That was mm -hmm. CBS. That was, you know, when Faraday was walking with Tiger Woods and he had a great relationship with Tiger Woods and he's down on the course, giving you on course reaction to what's happening. That, that Faraday was a long time ago. And, I thought he was a total mail-in at NBC, uh, and did that was not his best work. And then you know it's a chemistry thing or what. And I I I don't necessarily miss miss hearing Faraday on the broadcast. But. Yeah, McCord wore on me a little bit more than Faraday did. I think that he did not fulfill his potential. I thought his his career track would have turned out differently. And I thought like even on the you know on the live stuff like not ashamed to say it. like it was like good to hear his voice i was like oh yeah Faraday. you know like i don't begrudge him for going over there i mean if i'm it, it, he probably was like very freeing for him so but i was curious to get your take because i i feel like i might be in the minority on that where people are probably very tired of his shtick i don't think the i thought the studio show was decent but not great and I, I didn't think that he needed to be like a talk show host i just wanted him to cover golf in a more i don't know in a bigger way i guess Speaking of of analysts covering the live stuff, uh, Jerry Foltz had uh, got on us. So I, I think he stole our soapbox Sunday in there and went on a two and a half minute rant. That was a lot about the OWGR that uh, I would recommend finding if you can. I don't. I didn't want to post it and get in trouble from the live folks, but uh, he leaded it off by um, again Jerry Foltz, a, a paid uh, analyst of Live Golf, um, is commenting by calling the golf media decidedly biased, uh, which again is, is an interesting chair to be sitting in, uh, saying that, uh, talking about the OWGR and talking about how the world, people are taking to the streets to rally against the injustice that is the OWGR. They showed a screenshot of John Rom calling the rankings laughable, ignoring what Rom's points actually was about the OWGR. Rob was not saying that as in uh, they need to include the live guys. It was very much a, I should be number one player in the world, but... Uh, and then went into a very bizarre thing of like talked about how basically all that OWGR is good for is qualifications for the majors. Uh, and it was only a matter of time before the majors revisiting uh, the system because, you know, it's not counting the best players in the world, blah, blah, whatever. Conveniently ignoring that this is literally the system that the majors came up with. Like that's what the OWGR is. It is the majors coming up with a system to determine how you evaluate golf around the world to figure out how you qualify for their events. Pretending to act like the OWGR is something different than the majors does the viewers a great disservice. And again, is just, it's all fake. It's all a lie. It's all a campaign. It's all propaganda. 
And look, if you're trying to get the decidedly biased golf media to treat your product like it's somewhat serious, you can't just blatantly do false things like this and pretend like the new Sports Illustrated rankings are the new world rankings or that uh, TUGR or even Data Golf, I believe he said, are what, you know, is what's going to take over. They're just trying to will this thing of like, oh yeah, the OWGR is irrelevant now. And it's very much like... No, you want to play in the majors. You want to play in the biggest events, and that's the way that they are going to let you in. It's You can't just keep saying they're irrelevant and change how the majors decide on it. But if you get in, that's fake. It's just fake, and it might work on somebody that's just not randomly tuning into this, but it's not going to work on anyone that follows the game of golf in any way. And uh, it's just like, man, I'm like trying to give you guys a fair shake. I'm watching this. I'm watching this to like hear what's going on here, and like that's... I'm, I'm this, I don't know if this is going to surprise you guys. He was not challenged on that point after he made his rant, uh, which was I was stunned that uh, Arlo White didn't hold his feet to the fire there. <laughs> stunned. <laughs> and Faraday. Come on. <laughs> My guy. And Faraday. What the Come fuck, on. What are you doing, guys? I just, I, the thing that just keeps tripping me up at the rankings is just the constant, like, whining about it. Like, I, again, you kind of knew that this was part of, like, the issue. And this, like, this is what the money is for. And legitimately... The only fucking players that anybody wants to see are already in the majors. <laughs> There's already won one. no one except for Taylor Gooch, who probably is still in the top 50, who I give a shit about. Like that I that is going to be excluded from the majors. Paul Casey, I don't care. Henrik Stenson, I don't care. And you plus you won the freaking open championship not that long ago. So you're probably still have exemptions from that. Like name a single live player who you're going to be like, it is so such a bummer that they're not going to be in the you know, the masters of the U S open. It's just, there isn't there. So you're they're, they're ranting about stuff that no one else cares besides them. And if there was this groundswell of, of people being like, God, it's so unfair that Peter Uline is ranked 300 in the world when he's a legitimate golfer. I just don't think I would like, I, I could see no, then if that was something I just, but yeah. I just don't care now. Part of that Fultz rant was all about how Charles Howe's like three, 395th in the world. And it's like, I think we have a pretty big body of work to show that that's a, like, <laughs> no, legit he needs 600 ranking. more starts on, uh, on a tour, and <laughs> like, then we can I rank think him, that I one. Think. We, we can lay that one to rest, my guy. Like, okay, and then he ran away with the tournament today. It's I, like, okay, that's not doing it for me, Jerry. I mean, this is the James. I feel like sometimes we're picking on James Hahn, but he's been very vocal about this stuff. Like, James Hahn has missed like six of the last eight cuts. All right. So James Hahn would obviously love to be in live and live does not really have any interest in him. Like the idea that James Hahn is like ranked 300 in the world seems like a pretty freaking accurate thing. Like who is, I just don't understand like who is being sort of screwed here in this. Like, and also you're more than welcome to take your amazing games and go through qualifying. Like yes, you, exactly. you are a great just golfer. Qualify. You could absolutely walk your way through qualifying, but they're like pissed about this idea of like, Oh, you know, that's so, beneath us or, or crazy shit could happen yeah man like you know who used to have to qualify for the british open jack fucking nicholas and then arnold palmer and all these people who like literally they'd have to go over there and qualifying was like a monday and they would you know they 50 guys would get through or whatever but it wasn't just an, a walk and walk through it you know a hundred percent that's my biggest feedback i well noted on this pod of just like just shut up and just do there's a process. It's been in place for a long time. Like, yeah, there's some probably some issues with the OWGR, but one of them is one of the issues is not just like knighting a new tour that doesn't meet the qualification system. Like, that's not that is not the issue, right? And yeah, you guys are making it harder. You you know, where do you put someone like Dustin or Bryson or whoever? Like, okay, that's a little more complicated. But 
again, I'm not really worried about it. Like you guys got all this money, just go and take the money and have fun and play in your exhibition. It's great. And if you're helicoptering into this conversation and are confused as to why live events don't get OWGR points, there is a set set of criteria that says you must play this amount of holes, you must blah, 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 you must be in compliance for this period of time. And all that is in place to be able to evaluate a lot of different golf tournaments that happen all over the world. The PGA Tour is not the only place where golf happens. There's a DP World Tour, there's the Asian Tour, there's blah, blah, blah. There's 33 tours, whatever, that are members of the OWGR, and they all play under certain guidelines, all of them. And one again, I've I've said this so many times. Way too many people people are focused in on the fifty four holes no cut as being the reason why you know that the, the that oh that's the only reason why they don't have points. It's like no, it is so freaking critical that like Chase Kepka who finished forty seventh this week, his his spot is not under threat. There's no qualification under him that is going to eliminate him from playing there. We don't know what his contract looks like. I'm sure it's tied to his brother also playing there, but like he is not under threat to have his spot taken by someone else because there's no qualification for this tour. It is just the tour of the dudes that sold out to go play there. It's not one of the best golf tours in the world. It's where a lot of players went because they got paid a lot of money to go do it, but there's not a competitive network upholding this that you can evaluate players. Eric Cole is the product of an extremely competitive environment and he beat out a shitload of players for the opportunity to do that, the Honda. And I'm sorry, uh, Peter Uline did not do that. Peter Uline, over the course of his PGA Tour and Corn Ferry Tour career, proved that he was like a quad A player and was like not good enough to cut it, cut it on that tour consistently. And now he finishes second at the live event, and we're supposed to pretend like that means something. Charles Howell played 600 PGA Tour events. He won three times. He won once in the last 15 years in the PGA Tour. Goes over there and wins one of his first starts ever on live. Sorry, we're going to have struggle. If you want to have, have trouble evaluating that. I'm sorry. I believe Sally and I went like 45 minutes on the OWGR and the RSM pod last year. Maybe we should, we could, we could lift that section of that pod out and, and put it out. For yeah. People. I hate repeating stuff, but not everyone listens to every pod. And so I try to revisit it and summarize it as often as I can. But Sally, um, will we see a live player try to bail out of uh, their, their deals this year? Will they, will someone try to uh, eject from what they've signed? Yes, I think. I think so. Yes, and I, I think I, Brooks Kepka is number one on that list. The rumblings out there are pretty real. They're not coming from from. I don't think there That's are. That's a PGA. guess. That that is no no sourcing on that. That's right. just my no gut trackers. Like, trackers don't do it. Don't. I can do see it, him being the first guy to say like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm out. I'm out of this. This is bullshit, man. This isn't what I thought it was going to be." You know, and and like trying. You're like, no, I want to. You know, I want to come back. The like, thing I wonder don't. though, it's like, it's not like you've made a deal with a business. Like you've kind of made a deal with like a gangster state. Like, well, I don't know that you can just walk away and spend the rest of your life like looking over your shoulder, wondering if uh, the things are just going to be let it go. I want to propose a little game theory here, though, and I, I we talked about this a bit last week with the Liv's lawsuit against the PGA Tour and how um, the judge ruled that Yasser Abramayan, the head of the PIF, will be deposed or needs to be deposed. I don't, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, I'm going to screw something up in this, right? But the gist of it is the 10,000 foot view is he needs to get deposed, right? Which is essentially testifying, not in a courtroom, but a whole lot of shit. He's susceptible to discovery and all of his messages, emails, all this. He was not di granted diplomatic immunity and tried to argue all this bullshit of that he should be. And it did not work. So Again, I've I've read some lawyers talking online, and the opinion seems to be like he's never going to set for a dep deposition. They're going to appeal the shit out of it, and if it gets down to that day or whatever it is, they're going to drop the lawsuit. Like that is what a huge a, the, a huge win for the PGA Tour in that lawsuit is the fact that 
They can get discovery on all of Yasser's communications with PGA Tour players, what they've what he's discussed with sponsors and tour venue tournament venues, all kinds of things that I think would greatly help the PGA Tour's case that they have not committed antitrust violations and all that, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, this this was floated to me by uh, Twitter user uh, 77Magalicious. I want to give credit to this idea because I honestly hadn't thought of this perspective until he brought it up to say like, all right, so if if it's the ruling is that Yasser needs to be deposed and after the appeals and the ruling stays and Liv withdraws its lawsuit, can't like all the players, don't you see like an off-ramp to say like, hey, uh, I was you know promised all of these things by Yasser, and one of these things that was promised was that I'd be able to play in these PGA Tour events, and I was promised this by Greg Norman, and we have all this communication of all these things that were supposed to happen uh, for me to have signed this contract, and they're not happening now. I would like to file a lawsuit against you, and I would like you to be deposed, Yasser, in this. Would you like to sit for that deposition? Then what is Liv's appetite to fight the player on that or let them leave and go back to other avenues of professional golf. That's a, a, that's an interesting game theory, isn't it? In terms of, wait a second here, if Liv is going to be done fighting this thing, which has, you know, they've been so incredibly confident that they're going to win these lawsuits. And if they don't, what do the players have to fear? And that's where I do not fully understand the law or how that would be ruled on. But I think that's an interesting off ramp, uh, an interesting idea floated of how these guys would begin to back out of this. Hmm. I mean, it's a scary thing to like say you're going to sue essentially the you know head of state like the uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, I, but it's in U.S. Be, court, right? It's in yeah, U.S. Court. Well, I, the one thing I did read is that the that even though Yasser had to be deposed, that they that they could potentially choose the venue for where he would depose. So you might have to go to like Riyadh and depose him there. And do you have like enough kind of? stones to do that or you know like because people get like arrested on trumped up shit all the time in south saudi arabia you're like oh you're a you're a terrorist to the state like i don't know you'd have to have pretty big balls as a lawyer we could create a huge like international incident if you like rolled in there and like they, they were like oh no that, like they would never i don't think they would but international incident they would never do that like or in an embassy or anything like that it's it's a lot more intim- intimidating, right, though, to roll up in there and be like, ah, all right, we're going to sit here for six hours of deposition well, here. There's the- no precedent for any of that, that there, anyone would have any fear of, of uh, you know, being, being should be afraid of that. I think, though, when you game theory, though, like, all right, let's say that Brooks and Bryson or whomever decided that they wanted out. And they were like, yeah, we'd, we'll sue, the, you know, these guys. To, and we'll, they'll say, we'll let you go. Where do they go at that point? Like, if you're Jay Monahan and... I guess you in theory could say like, all right, we'll let him back because it'll destroy live sort of its credibility. But if I'm Rory or John Rom or Scotty Scheffler and a Jordan Smith, I didn't take the money to go to live. And I'm now all of a sudden Bryson and Brooks get to come back. What do you do? Do you basically say, okay, well you can come back, but you can't, you're not eligible for the pip for five years, or you're not eligible to be in the tour championship for two years. Or, you know, so there has to be some sort of financial penalty paid because otherwise like you're, you're, kind of membership is going to be in an uproar i think that's exactly right but i think there's a second separate piece to this i don't think all these guys this is speculation for me but i don't think all these guys have gotten all the money up front my guess is that there's a lot of like for over four years we're, we're going to pay you the 50 100 million whatever the number was and i think that Pre, like your game theory on the lawsuit stuff is good, Solly, but I think there's probably a situation where they're they're hemorrhaging so much money that if a guy like Brooks that they promised, let's say it was a hundred million, was like, hey, I just want out, 
And he was like, I don't even want the rest of the, the 75 million that you owe me. They'll double it. They'll just like, oh, well, how, all right, how's double? We'll do well, that. But I also, but I, part of me thinks that they, the, they may be looking for a way to cut costs where it's like, okay, fine. You can leave like, you know, but we don't have to pay you. Right. Like I, I could see that starting to happen a little bit where everybody just says like, let's go our separate ways. And then with the PJ tour, it's interesting, but there's probably some language in the handbook that says like, cool, you broke player. Yep. So you, know, you broke your contract. Was, so you, you're suspended for a year and then you can come back after that or whatever. That's, I was trying to look up the exact spot in the handbook and I couldn't find it, but I believe the official rule on this is you have to be, I don't know how to phrase I keep, I, I don't know how to phrase it, but like not out of compliance basically. So the second you're done playing with live, I think the clock starts. And once you are not out of compliance for a year, you are then eligible to return. And I don't know if that means you pick your status right back up or if you go back to qualifying or what that means exactly. But, uh, I don't know if they also issue a one-time, do they just open the floodgates for a minute? Is it like opening the Sweetens house up? It's like, okay, it's open and it's gonna be closed in five minutes. Whoever <laughs> wants to come in that five minute period, like you can come, but that's it. Like, and if you're five minutes too late, you, you missed your window. How many people could the tour get back? I don't think that's a realistic solution, but it, it there's the rumblings are real. They are. It's going to keep happening. It's going to keep leaking out. And I don't know if there's going to be action to follow those rumblings, but there's some well-placed stuff that uh, would make us think that there's some unhappy campers over there and how things are, are playing out, and especially the way that lawsuit is, is trending. So I know for a fact that a lot of the players are not thrilled about the fact that they got to have to go back to play a tournament in Saudi Arabia, that that's real. So... Uh, anybody who says like, oh, it's, you're just repeating. Like, no, that's that's real. Like a lot of them thought that that was sort of a one-off deal. So, And we said this last year. We were like, hey, this is the recruiting phase. Caddy fares being paid. Caddy hotels being whatever. We're, ta we're topping up the caddies on this. Parties on the planes. All this stuff. That has dried up. That is all, I believe, on all teams, all dried up. And it's all very much a... I think the teams were given like five million bucks, whatever, for to finance travel and to get things moving and, and to set up franchises and whatever you know you need to use that money for. But it's not all uh, all paid for on the road now, and that's just going to be an interesting leg of this to follow, I believe, because it's it's you took the coffee out of the break room. Neil's favorite analogy, yeah. and uh, it's the you've bought some si you bought silence a lot with uh with the with the mega planes that there were parties on and i don't think that's going to be the case going forward so probably the cliques can't even afford four hats all right according to that picture we saw the cliques <laughs> they're, they're you know martin keimer's not even wearing a hat obviously they had to do some tough choices in the budgeting and felt like the hat budget was too much <laughs> it's also worth uh knowing this this i saw this thread got 2.9 million views on twitter this week this is from john nucci who is an attorney and a chief golf law correspondent at Condé Trimental. Am I saying that right? Uh, and he had a, a tweet thread that based on recent, he said a thread of restrictions included in certain live golfers contracts, according to recent court filings. One players must play in every live event as a fundamental condition of their contract and live retains sole discretion in the number location or dates of events. Uh, that's, you know, an example he gives there is that they've already gone from eight events to 14 and uh, that's not including the four majors. And I believe the original plan's slated for 18. So I don't know if that's what the plan is for 2024 or not. But uh, again, live retains sole discretion in the location of events. Uh, players, you're unhappy about going to Saudi Arabia? Tough shit. You signed this over, and we paid you a lot of money to sign this over. So 
all this stuff. It's interesting. As Phil helped, you know, dial up these, the rules of this league, it's very interesting that he would include some of these clauses in there. But players grant live an exclusive, perpetual, royalty-free, worldwide, irrevocable license to exhibit, exploit, and otherwise use players' identification and connection with any promo activities, apparel, and all content created by Live during the term of their contracts. So those cringe-worthy videos that came out when the teams were announced a couple weeks ago, players can't say no to that. And I don't think that's exactly how things work on the PGA Tour. They have their own version of cringeworthy stuff that comes out, but uh, I don't think that uh, I don't think the no level exists at the same level. Shout out to the FedEx Cup rap. <laughs> <laughs> Some people should have said no in that. Yeah. Three players must wear live team apparel in live events, non-live tournaments, and other events in which they must participate. Heard about this one about a year ago. Couldn't believe it. Uh, it's just going to be hilarious if Polter But they're going to sell so much merch, man. That's oh, going to be such so a revenue stream. Come on. Uh, players agree they will not enter into any conflicting contract. Uh, again, although not directly on point, this one is particularly interesting given that the PGA Tour's competing event policy is the foundation of Liv's antitrust claims. Man, it's almost like this is all bullshit. Uh, if players are required to use their social media platforms to promote live. That's, uh, it's probably open doors out the ass SEN over there at live of just all this content going up on player, uh, player channels, um, which again has been bought. Players are obligated to make required appearances, including multiple sponsorship activities, receptions, meet and greets, and appearances at each team's draft event. You must lend your likeness to content creation, including photo shoots, video content, blah, blah, blah. Prohibited from providing exclusive interviews with or appearances in any media or social media in relation to any live activities without first obtaining live or team operator approval. That's the mega one that we've talked about many times that we have tried to get guys to agree to come on and it's got to be approved by the league and we've not gotten that far. Uh, required to participate in assist live with meetings, negotiations, and other activities with corporate sponsors, including team promotional activities and league activities. Easy one here. There's barely any corporate sponsors, so I don't think they have uh, much they need to do with that one. Uh, at Liv's request, players must introduce Liv representatives to the players' existing or prior sponsors to facilitate sponsorship discussions for Liv and other Liv players. So, interesting seeing guys, some guys get dropped from certain contracts. Maybe those sponsors didn't appreciate being forced to be introduced to, uh, <laughs> to, live, to the Liv representatives. Must not make statements or commit acts in public forums that are false, defamatory, slanderous, may adversely affect reputation or public image of any relevant person. And relevant persons include live shareholders like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So when you see them squirming in press conferences to be able to answer questions, it is because they are not allowed to say anything uh, bad about murdering journalists or um, anything else that's going on over there. No so. one here approves human rights violations so i can't that's, be any more clear that's correct uh and so in short again this is john nucci's summary in short at least some of live contracts appear more restrictive than the competing event policy that live is challenging on antitrust grounds uh, additionally live players may not have full control of their likeness which was the public gripe of phil mickelson against the pga tour and then again, in August 2022, Beth, uh, Judge Beth Freeman, who my wife was for Halloween, uh, is overseeing the case, remarked the following about live contracts. These contracts lock up players in ways the PGA Tour never imagined they are so restrictive. That's just That was a lot to take in to say, yeah, these guys have kind of sold their soul, which we knew. It looks like John Nucci works for Conduct Detrimental, which is a sport, uh, the, a podcast about the intersection of sports and law. So shout out to those guys, because that's an excellent thread. 
Gotcha. Con Detrimental was the Twitter handle. That's I miscited that. So. Yes. Not Con Detrimental. Con Detrimental. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, social media clause in there. It's all, I mean, I haven't gotten to weigh in on any of the, uh, the full swing stuff. But for me, like literally the funniest thing in the season of Full Swing was Ian Poulter being just like incredulous about the fact that Ricky Fowler has more Twitter followers. But he, he <laughs> never tweets. He just yes. never tweets. Never it posts. was Paperez. Like Paperez knew everybody's. He was like, yo, he's yeah. got like over a million, 1.5 million. Like, Poulter's working so hard to pump this, you know, this Instagram and Twitter profile up. And, and Ricky just kind of just chills there and, and just gets followers. It drives Poulter crazy. I love that. Gosh, this feels like a, a million years ago and we're almost done with live stuff. Sergio Garcia said, uh, Roy McElroy's lack of maturity ended our relationship. Um, I don't think we even need to comment on this. That's not. Yeah, even. I know it's getting I just my comment. There's literally what I said on Twitter is like, man, this thing moved way too quickly into the hard to parody. Like it, it's just really hard to parody that stuff. That's it. Anything else from live? Because I know that went a little long. A lot going on. A lot going on. It's no, you, you had a note in here about Poulter and he did an interview with the Telegraph. Uh, my I do want to note because I wasn't on the full swing documentary. I actually found Poulter to be one of the most interesting profiles. And I think it was because he was the most like himself, and I actually appreciated that. I thought he was pretty genuinely, whether you like him or not, I felt like he wasn't trying to act for the camera like a lot of those guys were, uh, or maybe put in a position to act. And I thought that came across uh, in a good way for him. So I would just, that's that's kind of what I wanted to note there. I, I tweeted something and got a lot of the run about it, just that I thought, you know, whatever it was performative or not, like he came across as like a good dad. And, you know, I like seeing dads like who are sort of tender and loving to their kids. And so like the scene of them playing, you know, the, the whatever, this is the 40,000 foot putt challenge or whatever on the plane. Like that was cute. That was really fun. A lot of people kind of push back at me. It was like, yeah, but like, you know, he's obviously like a good dad in the sense of like with his kids one on one that that comes across. But like at some point, are you making setting a good example for your kids of like what you actually do with your choices when by doing this? Like. That's a fair thing. I mean, I'm sure Poulter would say, like, it's not my job to, you know, police, like, what the KSA does. Uh, and so I'm just – I'm happy here to play golf, and I'm sure that's how he justifies it. So I think those two things kind of seem in conflict. Like, yeah, you're a great dad, but also you're making choices that are going to make your kids kind of not see the world as, like, a morally, you know, place where there's right and wrong choices. But, you know, it's it's still – he did come across to me as, like, ah, oh, like, I, I could see, like, talking to – Ian Poulter about like having a teenage daughter, which I have too. Yeah. But that's where it's, it's uh like Poulter DJ, same thing in full swing when they're, those guys are almost like Poulter's goal is generational wealth. And I think he says it in this article, it's like, I don't just think about my kids. I'm thinking about their kids and their kids. And, and that's what I work for. Like he's, which is like hit. That's his motivation. That's his goal. Whether I agree with that or not, it doesn't matter. But I appreciate that he's at least open and honest about that. Same with DJ in full swing. It was like, you know what, man? Somebody came along and offered me like a lot more money to do the same job. Like you'd be stupid not to take it. And it's like, well, we don't value the same things. But like, I appreciate you just at least saying that, right? Like, I think that like I'm, I'm willing to like say like that's that to me is like uh, I don't know, refreshing a little yeah, bit an when you compare too. it to all these other clowns that are trying to explain it away with all this bullshit. I'm gonna I'm gonna fight you on this one, Neil. Because I definitely, okay. I definitely did think it was performative. In that, do you enjoy the Ryder Cup? It's the best shit in the woods. Best shit in the woods. <laughs> do I enjoy the Ryder Cup? Like laughing off a comment that he chose the money over the Ryder Cup. Like he, he. I have no sympathy for. 
this pity act that he does in this article with the Telegraph of like, I just got so many hate messages and I don't understand it. It's like, well, dude, like your league is suing the PGA Tour and also you're suing your way into European Tour events when they've made it clear like, hey, you are damaging this tour by going over to this other rival tour. You are damaging, you're not, you are again, going back to like pooling media rights, like you're screwing all these other people that are left behind. This is not a zero sum decision that you've made. There are punishments to be handed out to other people because of you deciding to take the money and pretending like that's not part of the equation. And this, Oh, woe is me sympathy. Graham McDowell did a little bit of that on Gary Williams pod this week. I'm like, I just don't understand why people are so upset about this. Like you're literally fucking suing the PGA tour. Like it's not, this is not like, it is such a, they've thrown such middle fingers at people on the way out the door and are still trying to sue their way back into events and not understanding why their media rights have to be pulled and playing dumb on all this to the point where it's like, yeah, dude, you got paid a lot of money. Like we get it. DJ on one hand, shut the hell up and took the money and has not tried to screw over other people on the way out. And I don't think anybody has any problem with that. Whereas like, I just have no time for the disingenuous kind of like, why is everybody mad at me? Yeah, thing? That's I, I think that's a totally fair argument. And I would agree with that. I, my comment was more about, the full swings of, I was, I guess I was so surprised. I was like, Oh, you know what? I just, Poulter just strikes me as someone who's pretty comfortable with his own skin. And that surprised me. Like I, I, when his episode came up, I thought I was going to hate it. Yeah. I was actually like, Oh, you know what? No, like he's a schnitz, but like he's an authentic schnitz. I think he'd be a great hang. I I said this on the pod too. I think he'd be a great hang. I think I would enjoy hanging out with the impulter. I do. But But all the things you said are very valid and you're absolutely right. The pity party. I'm not, I have no sympathy for him at all. But it is nice when someone actually lays out their motivations, like pretty clearly in a black and white way of like, the guy's just trying to make as much fucking money as he can. I know. It's kind of funny to me of like, basically what he's saying in this interview too is like, I don't think you guys understand how rich I could be. Like I I could be really rich. Like you guys just don't seem to grasp this. Like that's why I'm doing it. Do you understand how rich I could be? Like, but it's like for my great, great grandkids, but like, do you understand? Uh, It's like, okay, don't do like, we, we definitely totally get it. Like we really, really do. So somewhere, Um, somewhere there's a person in England thinking about the wealth tax and being like, all right, we're going to tax the fuck out of Ian Bolton. Yeah. (laughs) Whether he's going to become like somewhere, a, a political like debate topic. Like, look at this. This, this is what we have to prevent. Jeremy Corbyn's going to stand up and bang a picture of Ian Poulter in Parliament. <laughs> um, American Lilia Vu started the day six back at the uh, Honda LPGA Thailand. She birdied two of her first three holes. She made five straight birdies on holes eight through 12 and chased down 20-year-old Thai rookie Natakrita Vontafleep. I think I did it. I practiced that Good one job. a lot earlier. But that was earlier, and I, I that was a little rusty as we've been on this pod for a long time. But... Um, she was really, really impressive. I actually watched a decent amount of this this week. I caught more of this than I did the Honda, just the way my viewing windows worked. But I think I might be like a, a night golf replay viewer. Like, I think I work too hard to try to make golf to watch it live. Whereas like Thursday through Saturday, you can watch the replay and kind of get the gist of what's going on. And I got a, caught a lot of this tournament and that was really fun to watch. But you know what I found you could do is I have YouTube TV free, no free ads. Sorry, but, and you can like literally record every single like golf thing and you could like zip through them or they even have like a key plays thing that you could push and it will literally show you like key shots. It's like a the great key way plays to, thing is, is a nice to buzz feature. through a tournament. Mm, interesting. So. Uh, this is Lilia Vu's third uh, season on the LPGA Tour. She has eight other career top tens. She was a 2021 Epson Tour graduate, uh, UCLA graduate as well. Um, and that's an enormous, enormous win for her to, to start off the season 
Atia Titicum uh, finished third. Maya Stark fourth. Celine Boutier uh, rounded out the rest of the top five in Thailand. So, so I kind of watched mainly just highlights. I didn't catch a lot of this, but a, a couple things that stuck out to me. One, great crowd. Like, seemed like people were out in force. More people than were at in Mayakoba, from, other than Club 54, which was absolutely popping off. Uh, but I felt like the crowds were great um, in the uh, limited coverage I did watch. And uh, Lilia Vu had an awesome, awesome post-round interview. Did you guys catch that? Did not. Would love to see that, though. Uh, she just talked about how, th- you know, year three, and they asked her, like, what, you know, what's changed? And she just went into, like, it's all mental. And I was beating myself up and really struggling. And I think she had a um, – can't remember if it was her uh, – father or uncle or somebody that had passed away recently and how they were very supportive of her and she felt like that helped give her some perspective of like i need to start like believing in myself more um and i and honestly some of it like talking to lauren coglin about like how hard it is as a rookie on the lpga how she felt like she didn't belong and lilia view was saying some of the same stuff of like i just never felt like i belonged out here and then i finally just kind of flipped it and and, and, you know, started being a lot more positive in, in how she, like, treated herself, which I thought was – it was very vulnerable, and it was a really good uh, interview. So if you have a chance to, to watch that, I would. All right. Our next segment is brought to you by BMW, a worldwide partner of the 2023 Ryder Cup. BMW will be electrifying the Ryder Cup with a fully electric fleet of vehicles for players and officials. This September, we're going to do these every single month. Last month, we drafted our own United States Ryder Cup teams. We said we would do one in February. Drafting the European Ryder Cup teams, of course, of course, TC not being here is an enormous loss for this team. It's kind of like losing Thomas Peters to live, if you will, and that we don't, we're not, you know, we're fighting with one hand tied behind our back. TC wants the ball in March for our segment. He's going to take up the whole thing, going way down the leaderboard of all 38 guys he's going to take on the European Ryder Cup team. But that's the disclaimer to say uh, we're each going to go around the table and list off our 12 guys that if we were sitting here now, we would be taking to the Ryder Cup in September at Marco Simone. Who wants to go first? I'm terrified right now. I feel like I got some scar tissue from calling Andy Murray British a long, long time ago. <laughs> uh, this is not my wheelhouse. Uh, I did put some research into this, but I'm I, I'm just I might I'll, not open up Twitter for the rest of the week after I unveil my team. Okay, I'll step up to the plate, Sally. I, I think okay. I'm ready. Uh, we're just going to go from top down to bottom, right? Like last time we tried to rank it as like who is the safest to be there, all the way to who are you filling out at the bottom of the roster. I I don't feel like horribly confident in my order in that, but I have it ranked in in some way that would reflect that. Okay, start off with Rory. Uh, probably could start off with Rom, but I'm going to start off with Rory just because uh, he's been a stalwart of many many uh, victorious European Ryder Cup games. Uh, John Rom coming in next. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood going to. Pretty much, you know, guarantee that Tommy's going to be involved in the team some way. Victor Hovland, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Shane Lowry, Alex Noren, Tyrrell Hatton. And then it starts to get a little bit interesting. It does. Right? Uh, I think I've, I have like eight names here. I'm going to go ahead and put Justin Rose on this team. Uh, I, I think you need some sort of veteran leadership. You know, him not being on the last one was understandable, but uh, I think the win... And just his relationship with with Luke Donald and the fact that they're both English is going to get him on the team. It's, you need another guy to sort of steady the uh, the bottom of the list here. I'm going to go with Seamus Power, number 10. Feel really comfortable with that. Been playing really well. Uh, you know, he's 28th in the world. Kind of weird to think that you could leave him off. 
He was 14th at Phoenix, 12th at the U.S. Open last year. He was finished fifth at the RSM. Uh, you know, Data Golf has him 23rd in strokes gained. Uh, so I feel like that's a pretty good uh, metric there. I'm going to say Seb Straka is my number 11. All right. Like, uh, I think it's a little bit bold, uh, but he hits it a long way. Like, he's uh, he's 31st in the world. Hasn't been playing great, but played, you know, pretty well at the Honda. Um, so I feel like that's, you know, and then, God, I really, I wa- okay, I wanted to put, like a Hogart, Ramus Rasmus Hogart on this. I wanted to put an Italian on here. I looked hard at Guido T- Bigliotti. TC is here. T- this is TC. <laughs> I felt I should spiritually represent him. I wanted to get Franco Malinari in there. Bob McIntyre couldn't do it. Uh, in the end, I have to, I, ugh, this is hard, but I got to go with Victor Perez. He's going to be my 12th guy. So uh, I mean, he's leading the freaking race to Dubai. Like there's a good chance he qualifies anyway. So like, I feel like, I don't love that pick. Like thought hard about Thomas Dietrich, uh, thought hard about Bob McIntyre, Danny Willett, Thorborn is is one uh, just recently. So like maybe he could get in the mix, but uh, that's my team. Sticking with it. I, I would just say like looking at the RyderCup.com rankings. I, I mean, it is so like different. Like you want to hear the top twelve, and like I know it doesn't really matter, but it's like it's Rory, Rom, Yannick, Paul, Victor Perez, Alex Noren, Adrian Otegu. Well, but you got to be careful because there's two lists for the Ryder Cup on the European side. There's the World List and the Europe List, and they take a few. That was going to be my spots. question. It's like yeah. how their qualifying is different than the U.S. one, right? That is correct. They take three guys off of uh, the Ryder Cup Europe list, I believe, and three off of the base of the world rankings, essentially. So if okay. you are dominating around the world, you're going to make it on the team. And if you're dominating Europe, you're going to make it. And then there's six captain's picks. Got it. So um, do you want to go with your list, Neil? Uh, yeah, I can go. Um, I would say, man, I, I kind of was thinking that a little differently. In KBV. So I'll preface it by saying I, I think you got to go young, probably with some youth. Okay. Weird, um, weird and punchy. I think you you have to. Yeah. I, Which I would really, be cool so I got, as shit. I just don't know that's yeah. going to happen. But yeah, I've got Rory Rom. Obviously, one two. That's a no brainer. I think Fitzpatrick for me is three. Like I just think he's been on the team and also young enough to be like probably maybe carrying the torch forward as a as a a, a regular in the future. Um, I've got Hovland four. Um, I had, I, I was forced, you kind of just shook me with the Seamus power stuff. Like I had him way, way down, but, uh, I've had Shane Lowry, let's say Shane Lowry fifth and then Seamus power sixth. Um, I threw Yannick Paul on here. I have, I have him like, I keep seeing his name pop up and I feel like he's number three. Now that you explained the rankings to me, I feel like he's probably going to make the team if he keeps playing well on the, uh, DP world tour. Um, then I have Tommy Fleetwood and Lord Tyrell Hatton. And then it gets tough for me after that. It's, it's, um, I, I've got, I've got four, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. I've got five options for three spots. I've got Victor Perez, Alex Norin, Rasmus Hogard, Bob Mack, because I love that he said he wanted to play more DP World Tour events uh, just so he could be on the Ryder Cup team. Like, you got to love that as a captain. Um, and then I have a, a, a wild card where I really want to get on the squad, which is Ludwig Aberg. I feel like he's going to come out of PGA Tour U, and that's the kind of guy, it's like get him on the squad, like Scotty Scheffler style. Like he is the future. So 
I would love that those last three spots to be Ludwig, Bob Mack, and then either Victor Perez, Alex Noren, Rasmus Hogard would be like pick pick one of those guys. Right now, if I had to pick one, I'd probably take the Frenchman. As we talked about in a, a pod months ago, Solly, I think Victor Perez could be the best Frenchman of all time. You know, Ooh. name me name me a better Frenchman. Mm. I love the idea of picking a young wild card. I just don't think that Donald will have the balls to do it because it's a like it's at home. It's a home Ryder Cup. They're gonna say yeah. like, all right, if you just give us a chance, that the the home court advantage is gonna give us get us over the top. So as much as I would love to see like one of the young wild cards, I just don't know that he's got the balls to do it. So so here I am. I'm leaving Sepp Strock off the list, and I'm leaving Justin Rose off the list. Which uh, those are two that you brought up. I was like, damn, I wasn't even like considering them, but that's. That's tough. That's tough look for me. It's it, look. Europe's got some some uh, team building to work on here. There, there. It's no. I don't think there are any wrong answers at this point. Uh, so I don't. I don't hate your team at all, even though it's different than mine. I think the way I put together my European Ryder Cup team is how like the U.S. was putting together their Ryder Cup teams in like '04 and '06, and like ah. I mean, like this guy makes sense. We should probably put him on, right? Like, I mean, Fred Funk should be there, right? Ah, like. Chris Riley makes sense, I guess, right? Like that, he's on the team, and those teams got waxed, right? So like the the teams that have gone a little outside the box and come up with a specific strategy that and a specific approach that you know it you think about who is paired with who, and that guy is going to play this exact role, and that's what you guys are going to do, and we're going to take a risk on this young guy instead of like going with a bunch of safe picks. I think they're they're apt to do that, but they just need like two youngish punchy dudes to have great summers to enter the picture, right? Because I'm I'm looking at, at at the Hoygaard twins, not seeing the numbers right now. I Aberg, you listen, I think if he shows really any sign of life when he makes it there, like do it. Like do us put him on the Speeth track. Like Speeth was on the 2013 President's Cup team as a 19 year old or 20 maybe it was 20 at that point. Like do it. Just freaking do it. Like you got you have some spots to play with because you don't have like the incumbents sitting there that ha- it's their spot to lose. It's kind of like, ah, do, do I like need Thorbjorn Olsen on the team or do I take a risk for the future or give somebody that has a chance to have a crazy good week? Like it might not go great with Ludwig Aberg, but like it might be the lightning rod that everyone needs and rallies around. So that being said, I took the, uh, the opposite tact at this point as you're sitting here i think you would you would probably struggle to take a risk like that but you're looking for signs of life over the course this summer so rom rory shane lowry who's who's kind of backtracked a lot more than i think i realized over the last three and six months because he really was really hot this time of year last year and through the masters but uh matthew fitzpatrick tommy fleetwood tyrell hatton victor hovland and alex norin and norin's been playing a lot better golf than i think a lot of uh a lot of the world recognizes um the world rankings recognize it, but the rest of the world, I don't know if they don't, but uh, that was an old, that was an old, old oldie, oldie and goodie there. Great to see you squash your beef with Norrin. We're, yeah. we're great friends. Uh, Seamus Power, I think, has done a lot in the most, on the most competitive tour in the world and has, has earned recognition for that and earns a spot there. Justin Rose, revital, revitalization. Look, I'd be curious to see how long it lasts. Like, he is, you know, he is definitely trending and, of course, winning at Pebble. Does that last all the way through the year? And with his experience, I think that makes a ton of sense and can kind of play with anyone. The last two spots, I don't feel great about. I think they're totally up for grabs and can change so much. And if I'm picking right now, I'm taking Victor Perez and Thorbjorn Olsen, who have a good have had a good last three months. And I'll put in my disclaimer there that I think those two spots are for like, 
hey, when August rolls around, and who has had the last uh, good last three months? Who's had the best run over the last three months? Uh, and is a hot-ish hand that we can start to ride into this because it could be a totally, totally different person uh, by that point. And I don't think anyone past uh, Seamus Power has earned a, uh, earned a spot on this team or can be even remotely considered a lock. I went with Sep just because I like you feel like he can hit it a long way, and like that would at least give you some birdie chances. Like I, I, I totally like him on board. I, I couldn't make like I, I, like you. I wanted to make Bob McIntyre work, Neil, but the yeah. results just aren't there. Like he's I been agree. stinky lately, and uh, you know that was a hard. That was a Ches pick. That was like, man, I wish I had twelve Bobs. Yeah, you know that we could go, we could go to battle with. But but he's also on the JV squad right now. <laughs> KBV, I got to push hard against the Sepstraka pick, and you saying he hits it far. He's he below doesn't. average distance. Wow, and okay. is essentially like a zero strokes gain player. Like he's a he's a very neutral player. Like he has some crazy hot streaks, and okay. like maybe it's worth riding that. And maybe you know, maybe it's not. I mean, like Sebastian Munoz would not have been like top of my list for the International Presidents Cup team, and he was freaking awesome in the Presidents Cup. So it's not to say you can't have a great Presidents Cup, but. Uh, I think these things are very, especially on the European side, are very data driven, and uh, maybe there's a great pairing that jumps off the page for him. But um, I don't, I don't know if that is uh, the case. And I also don't know what Marco Simone favors. I don't think anybody. How does. about this? Like Thomas Dietrich is like 30th in strokes gained on the PGA Tour this year. He's been playing a lot of PGA Tour stuff. Like he's he's almost a full stroke. He's like 0.9, which is ranks pretty high. Like uh, there's a lot of guys on the U.S. team who maybe don't aren't going to rank that high. So I don't, I don't, nothing about Thomas Dietrich's game like blows me away, but the stats yeah. say like maybe he should be in the mix. He's in there. I mean, he's, he's, plus, I mean, again, this is boring to people, plus 0.26 over the last three months worldwide, plus 0.69 over the last six months, like totally fine above average player in the world, but not the, the numbers aren't dropping off a page. And it, at no point in the last three, six, 12 or 24 months is he ranked in the top 12 in strokes gained. Uh, for any European players the, I'm telling you what used to take me like months to like accumulate all this stuff is all in one page on data golf. Now, like they track the three, six, 12 and, and 24 months uh, runs for each player on both the U S and the European side. And it's staggering one, the gap between the two teams right now. And just like to look at it uh, against like what you think a guy is doing worldwide. It's, it's kind of jarring. You're so. going to have to teach me how to really get deep in the data golf world. Like you're going to, I'm going to need like a Solly you uh, thing that uh, like when I come I down to Jack paid for this, like, I, I for agree. these shout outs, like it's un, like, you know what? I really don't. I am a big fan of like content that just is great for the benefit of. If you're doing good stuff, you deserve it's a great. shout out for sure. For sure. Uh, did we take enough time to make fun of the new SI rankings? Because I don't know no. if we really have. No, okay. we didn't. <laughs> Please. Uh, this was very much a nobody. Sports Illustrated. Hey, we made a world ranking system that I think you guys are going to love. Uh, yeah, I was. A, I'm a little like I was all set on this one. Unsubscribed before I even read it, so I'm not. I'm not uh, well versed in, in this. In a week when they laid off like 20 people too, like I, I know, like the numbers don't always like work out in terms of like it. Just was like really a weird narrative of like, hey, we're getting rid of 20 employees, and also LA Golf sponsoring this uh, fucking ranking thing. That's kind of a clown show. <laughs> Which like isn't like Bryson and DJ aren't they like on the board of LA Golf? Correct. And yes. It's it just seems a little pandering to live in this, including in the article that they wrote. All men's tours receive points for SIWGR, including live uh, at all non uh, no cut events, including live. Top seventy five percent of finishers will receive points. So uh, if you play on live, you just got to beat like thirteen of. Uh, 
some of the absolutely not best players in the world to get some ranking points for this. Uh, they factor in strength of field and award bonuses for the majors, similar to the OWGR. But uh, the kicker for me, because strokes gain is not calculated by all world tours, just ignore that that's not true. Uh, we're using a new metric called distance per shot, DPS, uh, which will appear a separate list just as OWGR does with strokes gain. Distance per shot becomes a bigger factor when ranking players outside our top 100 as our strength of field calculation covers the majority of tournaments those top 100 golfers enter. So basically, like, the high-altitude events are going to be the ones that determine the most, like, is Liv just going to go to the Welcome highest to the possible Colorado spots? Open. The new are we going to include the long drive guys, too, with the distance per shot? Like, what, what is that measuring? New well, it's not how far they hit the shots. It's how long the car, like, the, how many points get awarded or whatever is based on how long the courses are, like, how yeah. much distance is covered by oh, the Oh, okay, the course so if you, length. If you shoot a 72 on an 8,000-yard course and you shoot a 72 on a 73-yard, 100-yard course, like, the 8,000 is much more valuable than the, the 72 that you shot, which is just t- deeply unserious, as I think uh, Joseph Lamanja said uh, the Friday this week. Like, it just it, it fundamentally misunderstands, like, what distance play. I mean, remember the few years ago when the BMW was at Medina and it was like, oh my God, it's 7,900 yards or 7,800 yards. It's one of the longest. And they just tore it apart. And Justin Thomas was like, look, it doesn't matter how long it is. We will destroy it if it's soft. Like you have to make it firm or else we'll tear it apart. And that's just the truth about professional golfers. Like the distance stuff is just kind of silly. Like when you, yeah, you can hit an eight iron 190 yards if you're a professional golfer in a lot of ways. So, uh, you know. Also, what? this this ranking doesn't really take into, like, the issue right now that we've discussed maybe too much is strength of field is the one that's the hard thing to understand, right? Like, the argument of, like, do you want a, a bunch of duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck, the whole that whole deal. It's like the – and they're still using the same strength of field calculation. It's You know, so it's not really solving any problem here. I don't know. They're both. My thing is, they're not first to this. Again, shout out to Data Golf of like they have their own ranking system. That's one. You're both not first, and also just not true to say that there's not strokes gained around the world. Like, yeah, they don't have shot length to calculate individual off the tee and approach and putting strokes gained. But like strokes gained is a very simple calculation of like how you're beating the average, like you're you're how much you're beating like the field by, like the average field, and it's ignoring both of those things for this ranking system that I don't understand why a, a, a publication needs to come up with. But. Well, that's a, that's a great point that, but I just am baffled by it. It's like, what is the reason why is sports illustrated deciding they're going to come? It reminded me of like when the, uh, the college football coaches were like really mad about the media and their sort of rankings in the, like the nineties. It's like, Oh, we're going to come up with a coaches poll because these are the people who really know, like what ended up, it mostly just ended up being kind of similar to the two college football polls at the time. I just don't quite get why a media entity would decide, all right, this is super important. Other than like it's sponsored, right? It's like LA Golf is saying, like, if you do this, like we'll, you know, we'll help you out a little bit with some some money because that's the only reason really why, like, sports illustration shouldn't be like entering into this. Like, look, we at Knowing Up here are, we're analysts, right? We can take a sort of like position of like, hey, this is so stupid. But like Sports Illustrated ought to sort of say like, we're kind of a neutral party in this. Like, we don't really think that, you know, we should be weighing in. We're just going to cover the news. And yet here they are saying, oh, we're going to help determine, we're going to give Liv a great talking point about like, oh yeah, Cam Smith is definitely like a top three player in the world. Yeah. And sponsored, just that it's sponsored by LA Golf is just, it's just like chef's kiss. So- 
the whole thing for me when I saw this, like, thank you, SI. That was interesting. Like, yeah, like, but, but I will not ever think about this it. again. Like, it will not settle any argument. That's the thing is, like, yeah. it adds nothing to the discussion. Again, there's other stuff that exists that can tell you, like, how good Cam Smith is at golf. It's not the official World Golf Rankings. Like, and it's not going to change qualification for majors, just like we covered earlier. But, like, yeah, there's a, met- there's a v- much better metric out there to tell you, like, how good Cam has been playing lately. Is it harder to measure because he plays way less frequently? Yes, of course, but that there's 0% chance that this is better than what already exists on multiple fronts. So thank you for that. Last thing I have this week in James Hahn tweets is uh, liberal golf pundits rushing to post a video of Sergio Garcia just because he said Rory's lack of maturity ended their relationship. Golf media added again, pushing the divide for a few likes and follows. I just want to read one quote in response to this and we can move on to the, from the segment. This tour is shit. You're all fucked. Uh, Sergio Garcia, um, and that was two fellow European tour golfers uh, after uh, joining Saudi's Live Golf. So um, shout out to the liberal golf media for pushing this divide and definitely not Sergio Garcia. So It seemed like a direct subtweet of Jamie Weir because Jamie was the one who yeah. posted like a, a <laughs> video of uh, Sergio like... Half of Sergio's transgressions. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's never forget about Sergio. This is a person who suffered no consequence whatsoever for saying that, like, we'll serve fried chicken when Tiger Woods comes over to my house. Like, fuck you. Like, just, you know, whatever. All-time woke. Uh, Neil, you got anything to wrap us with? Uh, Yeah, man, just a quick house ad. The shop's popping. We got the spring collection out, store.nolayingup.com. New H&B stuff is in. Uh, Some new hoodies from H&B that are great, along with uh, a little Gold Boy capsule, uh, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, Will Gold Boy be back, Sally? That's my question for you. I want to say yes, but like in a cheeky way of like, hey, we're kind of in on the bit, guys. It's weird. And that terrifies me. So, but I, I have no inside information on that, but I could, I could see that happening. They're not allowed to become self aware. No, go, that go. would be a gold boy cannot become self aware. <laughs> He's going to become sentient. Like the this term, year. Terminator. <laughs> gold boy just starts. <laughs> gold boy's going to become sentient this year. Uh, <laughs> now, I was on my honeymoon last year, so I missed the whole gold boy thing. So I kind of hope Ooh. he comes back so I can share in the, in the fun. I had no idea what anyone was talking about when I got back. So. Um, but uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, we sent out the newsletter last week. KVV featuring heavily in the NLU email newsletter these days. Uh, that's uh, newsletter.nolayingup.com if you want to sign up for our uh, bi-monthly, or I guess bi-weekly uh, email every, twice a month to, to make it easy. Uh, KVV, you got anything on deck this week you're writing about? Yeah, I got in writing a column this week. Uh, I'm not going to reveal just what it is uh, yet, but uh feel... Uh you know, feel like good about it. Uh, and I'll be at the players uh, coming up the week after that. So, you know, we had a, a fun run at live. The, I'll tell you what, these mailbag things have become pretty fun for me because he just allows me to riff on a lot of different topics. And uh, a bunch of my friends were like, man, I haven't read a mailbag in like years. And uh, this is like super fun to, to dive into. So uh, our rule is if you're a Nest member, you can ask a, a question in the mailbag, but it's uh, free for everybody to read. And uh, so I think we're going to keep, you know, doing two of those a month. And it's just a fun way to kind of have a fun rolling conversation about all the shit that we either care or don't care about uh, in the world of golf or outside of it. Yep. Speaking of Nest members, uh, Nest Pod KVV was our special guest, came into the funk tank this month with uh, with Cody and I recorded that on, was that third? No, Friday we recorded that. So it should be live. If it's not, it'll be up tomorrow. Uh, and if you're interested in becoming a Nest member, you can find out more at nolayingup.com forward slash join. Solid, that's all I got. You got anything in the, in the pod world coming up that you're excited about? 
Uh, got to get that figured out still, but I will say we uh, got a lot of messages this week about uh, Justin Huber was on the bag for me this past week at the Gasparilla Invitational and questions about what will be coming of that. There will be a film room. Ben made the trip and filmed it all, and we will have a, uh, a, a deep dive into how what, what will it be like to have a professional golfer on the bag at a, at a prestigious mid-am tournament, and what kind of impact could that have on my game? We will. Uh, you know, I, I kind of spoiled a little bit on Instagram this week, but I won't spoil the results here, but... I think it will make for some very uh, interesting content uh, as we go down the stretch of uh, of that tournament. So look for that in the in the nearish future. And you may uh, may see me get fit for some clubs in the nearest future. Oh. Uh, the Pie Man is working on that edit uh, right now. So I went out to the uh, the titles. People came to us. Actually, I didn't go out to quite to Carlsbad, but uh, they came to us and got me in the in the fitting chamber and uh, you know hit some good shots in it. So it'll be fun to go deep into that and see. Too much speed. That was the only too problem. You broke the track, man. Speed, you yep. broke the track, man. So, guys, didn't think we'd go two hours, uh, but there's just, you know, that's what happens. The professional golf world gets divided like this. There's a lot of professional golf to cover. So, uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you guys for being here on a Sunday evening, and we'll see you back here next week. Cheers. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most.